He's got one foot in the frying pan and one in the pressure cooker. Believe me, as a bowler, I know that right about now, your bladder feels like an overstuffed vacuum cleaner bag, and your butt is kind of like an about-to-explode bratwurst. Hey, do you mind? I wasn't talking when you were bowling. Was I talking out loud? Welcome to Munson's at the Movies. My name is Kyle. I will once again be your host. Joined by the rest of the Munson's, want to give them a wide berth. He's what is called a born loser. A real Munson. <laughs> Talk a little bit about what's going on in their worlds. We will start this time with the long-awaited return of Mark Rigby. Happy to be back. Thankfully, I made it on time this time. Thankfully, I made it on an episode this time. <laughs> Ready to talk some TC. Big fan of hers. I did have a lot of uh, loyal fans ask me why we edited you out of the entire podcast, and I just said it was behind-the-scenes stuff. Oh, I'm sure you did. <laughs> yeah, Behind-the-scenes shit. Yeah. Contractual things. and It's like he's on it. We just cut him out the whole time. <laughs> mm-hmm. James, I think we would all love to hear uh, a little bit about uh, Tony Collette Jr. Uh, Tony Collette Jr. would actually be next episode. Oh, that's right. Next time. I believe this episode it's John Turturro Jr., Ah, nice. Fitting. Good name. Yeah, unisex name. A beautiful Italian name. Strong name. Uh, she's good, man. It's Things are going well. We're in a groove over here. Uh, my wife is going back, to, going back to work, and I'm going back to school here shortly, so the groove will be thrown off, and I'm sure I'll have some sort of complaint to share with you guys of how life is going at that point, but right now, things are good. Do you feel off because we didn't have three episodes in a row with an Italian actor? It feels racist. Okay. Yeah, that's how I would describe it. Yeah. Feels like discrimination. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Okay, Italian discrimination. If you mispronounce it to Coletti. <laughs> I thought we were doing Tony Colettichini tonight. Actually, you know, it's funny you mentioned that. I think her husband's Italian because I think her like actual like government last name is Italian, so this still counts in my eyes. Mm-hmm. Case. I'm going to be massively underprepared tonight because uh, I started wearing contact lenses at the age of 46 years old. And it takes me an hour and 15 minutes to get them in every day. Oh, dude, you're like a 14-year-old now. (laughs) (laughs) Once you get used to it, it's like it won't take long. You'll do it in two seconds, but it just takes takes a couple weeks for sure. Yeah, I'm I'm challenging that uh, you can't teach an old dog new tricks theory. And so far, it is holding up. You cannot teach an old dog new tricks. (laughs) I'll throw this out there. I played in three different baseball games yesterday. And let me tell you, my knees are screaming at me today, fellas. <laughs> Not my smartest idea. But let me give you a little a little glimpse into the new league that I started yesterday. I'm, I started playing in the Latin League Okay, here in Indianapolis. Senior Hickman? Yeah. Senior Hickman was out on the field. I had just thrown five innings in my regular game. And then I went out and threw another inning for them. And let me tell you, they brought me two Tecate beers. They brought me tacos. Damn. Sounds lovely. Apparently, this particular team, I don't know if it's the whole league, but this team, all their, like myself and like three other guys who they consider good, they will pay us $50 a game if we win and we get beer and tacos. <laughs> nice. It's the greatest thing ever. I think yeah, that makes you a professional. Yes, it does. Do I have to put it on my taxes? Is that what yeah, you're telling me? I think me? you need to file a 1099 or something. Fuck. You're like the Danny Almonte of the Latin League. But I'm happy to report that Mike Rodmaker has decided to join us again for another episode. If you don't know Mike or haven't listened to an episode with him before, he was born and raised in Cincinnati, Ohio. He moved to Los Angeles in 2016 to pursue a career in photography and film. 
His work in those fields is focused on the outdoors, sports, and documentary filmmaking. He's an avid runner, climber, movie nerd, and popcorn enthusiast. He was previously with us for the Mahershala Ali, Philip Seymour Hoffman, and Jim Carrey episodes. So he picks bangers. Yeah. Whenever Rodmaker comes on, that you know it's going to probably be a pretty good actor. I don't think anybody has a higher average months of meter score than Rodmaker's choices. I, I feel good about that data there. Well, welcome back, Mike. How's it going out there? Any fun updates about life? No, I mean, first of all, thanks for having me back again. It's always good to hang out with the Munsons. Uh, every time I've done this previously, it's been a blast. So uh, coming back again was a no-brainer. Um, last time, uh, I think I was on your 50th episode. Yep. Ooh. Quite the milestone. So, um, yeah, so it's been a minute, but I'm doing great. Um Everything you read on my uh, bio is still true and good. So, uh, you know, no news, but no news is sometimes good news. Um, yeah, for me, uh, been a lot more uh, photography, sports track, uh, outdoor tracks kind of wrapping up right now. Um, so had a, a bunch of shoots in the spring and the summer for a bunch of different events there. And um, got to do a little backpacking recently, uh, do a little more shooting there for, for my own portfolio. but. Yeah, just uh, just kind of cruising. I since I was here last time, I got engaged. Oh, congrats, man! Ooh, congrats, congratulations! Thank you. Uh, so getting getting married in May. Um, pretty stoked about that. We'll expect a Munson's table. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> we'll, we'll send we'll send Rigby since he's right down the road. <laughs> there you go. And it, actually, it's uh, it's back in Indiana, a little Midwest hometown oh. vibe. Oh, okay. James, James and I bro date. Let's go. Yeah, it's a great time. Was. <laughs> um. Rodmaker, who's the latest famous person you've seen at REI? Oh, let's see. Last time it was Francis McDormand and one of the Coens. It was Jennifer Garner. It was a couple weeks ago. That's awesome. By the way, she was in in there with the daughter. It was like a weekend. It was packed. The line was 15, 20 minutes. Again, I know this is a low bar, but like got in line, like no expected special treatment, like super friendly uh just like a fantastic person well we're glad to have you back man yeah buddy let's dig into some tony colette it's colette Colette. (laughs) it's not italian (laughs) all right birthdays august 11th rigby what do we got all right first up uh you know him as thor and you also know him as a fellow munson chris hemsworth yes he was his uncle is crocodile dundee that would make him 49. No chance. There's no if he's fucking 49, way he's 49. <laughs> yeah. no, he's 49, I'm going to bad about myself. myself. Yeah. Oh, shit. I went high on that. <laughs> That's it's good. opposite Price is Right rules, right? Because she's um, from Australia. All right. Chris, Chris Hemsworth <laughs> is 37. I hope Kyle's more correct. <laughs> I do, too. He is. 34. I was going to say 39, but that... What, what was it? Forty-seven guesses. Having a second guess. Don't listen to the outlier. Don't let us screw you. Yeah. Thirty-nine. That's my answer. Last year before forty. Good guess, Mike. Thirty-nine on the dot. Oh, oh nice. I still feel. Pretty I meant to say myself. thirty-nine. Shit. Uh, <laughs> as the only person on this podcast right now who didn't cover his career, we should all be ashamed of ourselves. Yeah, that's that's <laughs> a good point. Yeah. All right. Next up, Anna Gunn, uh, most known as Skylar White from Breaking Bad, but also in her fair share of movie roles a really wow. good movie from the last couple of years uh, five years that i liked with her in it was called equity it was about uh, wall street i liked that movie with her in it i don't know if you saw that one 41 
I'm going to take the Craig Case approach of I don't even know who this person is because I was not given a photo of what she looks like and I didn't want to Google and accidentally see her age. She's very good in Breaking Bad. Well, I've never really seen Breaking Bad, so that's probably a, a major reason why. That's not something to readily admit to people. <laughs> so uh, James said 41. I'll go a little bit higher. I'll say 43. 47. 45. Seaman gets it. She's 54, so you guys all guessed way under. Damn. Oh, she looks great. Good for her. Yeah. All right, last up, Viola Davis. Ooh. You know her in The Help, Fences, How to Get Away with Murder. Great actress. She's in one scene in Doubt, and she's great in it. Oh, and isn't she in uh, Suicide Squad? She is. Yeah. Was she in Gray Man recently? I haven't seen it. But I haven't seen it yet either. I've heard good things. I've heard mixed things. That's what I'll say. I've heard mixed things about that. I'm going to give her... I'm going to go... S- 70 flat. 70? Sorry. 70. It's insulting. Munson. All right, give me 53. 57. Oh. All right, we got three different winners. Kyle, you win. Oh, I'm, I'm the only loser. That's right. <laughs> what'd, she, what'd she turn? What was? How old is she? 57. Okay. 70. Kay should have been the major loser, guessing 70 for Viola. <laughs> you guys haven't seen Gray Man. In my defense... She plays a very decrepit, dying woman in there and looked very old to me. I mean, who we're talking about tonight, she plays the widest range of ages for someone who's not old. Happy birthday to nobody else, but nobody else had a birthday that. This is episode 68, and those five actors we threw on the wheel were Diane Ladd, Laura Dern's mom, Josh Brolin, Jesse Eisenberg and Claire Danes, but it does not matter because the wheel selected Tony Collette. Tony has 89 credits on her film resume, mostly film. She's peppered in some TV, especially lately, and also has a pretty distinct singing and theater background. Which we're going to talk a little bit about fascinating performer for sure. But before we get into any of those details, we're going to start with a little actor trivia and see if James can stump us Fast and Furious style. Yeah, so Rodemaker, you're part of the initiated here. Um, but for those of you listening, if you haven't before, welcome. What I'm about to do is read off three facts. Two of them are going to be true about Tony Collette. One of them is not going to be true about her, but will in fact be true about one of the many cast members of the Fast and Furious franchise. The guys here are going to guess which one is in fact not true. Fact number one. Left Sydney, Australia to follow her dreams and pursue an acting career in New York City and spent the first few nights homeless in Central Park until she found work as a waiter and bartender. Fact number two. is a singer and songwriter whose band performed during the Live Earth concert series to bring awareness to climate change, which was viewed by over 2 billion people. Fact number three. Discovered that her biological uh, paternal grandfather was not actually her grandfather on an episode of Who Do You Think You Are, a show which traces celebrity lineage, something her family was previously not aware of. Good grief. Hmm. I'm going to say that number one is the lie, and that's about well-known actress Nathalie Kelly, who was in uh, Tokyo Drift. Of course. How could we forget? I think number one is also the lie, because I think that is well-known Australian actor Jason Statham. He came over... (laughs) From Australia Ooh. to live in New York. So I mean, 
He is British, but that's like the same thing, I'm sure. <laughs> Those are different accents, so shit. Yeah. <laughs> that's what I mean. Hashtag colonization. The original Australia, Great Britain. You saw Britain owned everything. That's why English is the most popular language in the world. My bad. Has anybody guessed that uh, finding out her paternal grandfather is not actually that is the law yet? No one has guessed it. I'm going to go with that one. And we're going to say that say that, that was uh, Michelle Rodriguez. James, is it too late for me to change who my guess is? Absolutely not. I'm keeping the same one and the same rationale, but it's the rapper Iggy Azalea. She is Australian. That's true. I, I was going to say, I think she is Australian. <laughs> she was an international like, like SWAT team member. It was super believable. Well, great answer on your part, Craig. I'm excited to see if you're correct or not. Uh, so the one answer that no one chose was uh, fact number two is a singer songwriter whose band performed uh, during the Live Earth concert series, Bring Awareness to Climate Change, Great Cause, viewed by over 2 billion people. Uh, the Australian concert was the first of the series that was held in July of 2007 before anyone thought climate change was real. And there was more than uh, 150 musical acts in di- 11 different locations across the world. Um, the Australian one was in front of 45,000 people. Uh, Tony Collette's band, aptly named Tony Collette and the Finish, performed along Wolf Mother and Jack Johnson. Her band's actually released an album. Nice. It's got a full album. She's a, actually a tremendous singer. Spotify. You can listen to it. Yeah. She has one full album before she went back to acting full time. Uh, fact number three discovered her biological paternal grandfather was not actually her grandfather during a TV show. That is true. Um, so as of the show's airing in 2015, Tony still does not know the name of her biological grandfather. Uh, and at the end of the episode, she, uh, asked the public and it still to this day, no one, she has a picture of the man, but no one uh, knows who he was because it was essentially a one night stand when her parents, uh, her great, uh, her grandparents got divorced. So like the name, the guy could have fed her grandma might not be true and they don't really know where the guy is in fact number one left sydney australia to follow her dreams and was homeless in central park that is not true about tony collette but that is true about leonardo nam the famously played morimoto in fast and furious tokyo drift craig you almost had it he was second on my list yeah you almost had it. <laughs> more people probably know him as the surgeon slash repairman for the broken quote-unquote hosts in westworld on hbo which uh, the first season was great. It's kind of gone downhill in my opinion, but that's where more people know him from. And that's his story. Good, James. That's cool. Very good. Case, let's talk a little bit about her snapshot in box office history. I'm interested to see how competitive it is comparatively to the other actors. She's got interesting numbers. That's, that's for sure. A couple things that were that stood out. I was putting in the Yellow Birds, and that movie had a budget of $12 million. And it world grossed 58000 Damn. What movie are you talking about? I've never heard of it. The Yellow Birds. That's my point. No one's ever heard. You know, I did some research on that because I wanted to find out what was going on. She's not been on a lot of, like, crazy sets. There's, there's not a lot of drama going on behind the, behind the scenes. So what happened with this movie is that it did well. It showed well at Sundance. And it was bought by Sabin Films and DirecTV Cinema. I'm guessing DirecTV Cinema was wanting to use it as part of their, like, pay-per-view service or something. It never got a huge theatrical release, even though, you know, it wasn't a $58,000 movie. So technically, I'm sure that movie didn't lose $11.9 million, but it certainly didn't make it back in the box office. I mean, 58000 that's a brand new Toyota Supra, which is cool. It, it is cool. 
I was hoping you were going to come up with an Australian car. We were going to have to ask you, what is that? Are there Australian cars? That's got to be, right? I just want our listeners to know that James always has Auto Trader next to him when we record, just for moments like this. <laughs> it's just like all the money that goes into it, it, it. Whenever I hear a thousand behind it, I was like, oh my God, they must be just punching themselves. Who screwed up? He's such an avid reader of Auto Trader. He was a consultant for making a murderer. I honestly don't know shit about cars. I've had to Google everything. <laughs> he was a consultant for the Joe Dirt scene where he's in the hole and putting the lotion on his skin. That's what he was. <laughs> That's more accurate portrayal. He wrote, yeah. he wrote the script for how Joe Dirt reacted when the Auto Trader came down. <laughs> Anyways, getting back to uh, Coletti's box office. She's got pretty good numbers across the board. She's got the 59th ranked average film budget which isn't surprising total box office 34 so right in the middle of the pack star ranking is high at 19 critic ranking is ranked eighth at a 66.2 percent fan ranking 25th at a 61.5 and then she's got a 33rd and a 14th ranking on two different box office metrics when you put all of them together that uh, puts tony collette ranked wealth oh wow nice very high it was like a scene from the sixth sense the second i realized that she was ranked 12th all the clues <laughs> started telling me that she was going to rank highly <laughs> it was a fun one to do for sure <laughs> if this were a usual suspects i would have said i dropped my coffee cup while i was while i was looking at the score but i didn't all right well that's fascinating case we'll see uh if the multimeter score reflects a top 12 performance here We'll get into it. We appreciate you. A bit. Outside of the stuff that James talked about, you know, Tony's born outside of Sydney, blue collar family, not, she did not come from a family that was in the entertainment business at all. The idea of acting and performing, that's something that she had to kind of do on her own. Early when she was growing up as a young girl, she did a lot of tap dancing, swimming, and netball. Do you guys know what netball is? Because I went down a hole to figure out everything I could about the sport that is called netball in Australia. No. It, that's basketball, of course. It's like a weird combination of basketball, handball, and soccer. Is probably the best way. There is a net, but there's no backboard. And like handball, there's very specific things you can do once the ball's passed to you. Like It's like if you jump off one leg and land on the same leg, you can use the other leg to pivot. The sports you combined, I could see that being fun. Right? Visualizing the playground bucket where you throw it in that spits mm -hmm. out one of the four angles. Yep. There are seven players on each team and they can only go into certain zones. I learned about netball and she and it's primarily for women. It's a like a female sport in Australia. Hmm. When I student taught in England, I had to do a, a physical education class and uh, I'm like my third day there. The lady's like, hey, today I want you to teach them netball. And I go, huh? <laughs> 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 and you learned at that moment. How'd you do, Coach Craig? Those kids get any better? I got there eventually. <laughs> yeah, I talk a lot about footwork. They were dunking by the time they were done. Craig was <laughs> teaching them how to handle their business. Verticals are impressive. But early on, she had a lot of musical ambitions. And what it was fascinating for me as I started to learn about her is she was a singer first before she was an actor. I had no clue. I mean, we've talked about singers on this podcast and Mahershala being one as Prince Ali, Ron Maker knows from his episode. Obviously Haley Steinfeld's a very successful yep. pop career. J Lo, huge yep. career. Ever heard of yeah, her? Right. Uh, who else have we covered that's a musician who has dabbled in that world? Maggie Smith might have been around for the invention of music. 
<laughs> Damn dog. At least a phonograph. Yeah, right. Actually, but I didn't know she was a singer, and I didn't know she had a band, as James talked about. Same here. But it all started early on. She had ambitions to be a singer, was in a lot of musicals growing up, and that's where, where it started. She did her first acting in high school at the age of 14. And so that's when she started getting the bug for acting itself. She actually transferred during the high school years to a, to the Australian Theater for Young People at 16. was a little bit of like a bold move at that time for her to do. And is eventually, as she started to you know go to um, the National Institute of Dramatic Art, she was there for 18 months. She Her actual last name is Colette without the the last E. And she added the E because she felt it was a better stage name. Plus, people would misspell that constantly. 100%. But what really inspired her to act was she saw Diary of a Madman on stage and, and she saw Jeffrey Rush. Some people might know, others would probably know him as uh, Barbosa from the Pirates of the Caribbean. Blew her away and that's what got her really, really interested in being an actor. So, shout out to Jeffrey Rush for t- bringing Tony Collette to the world. Um, but her first uh, television debut was in uh, <laughs> Blah Blah Blah. She played a singer in 1988 and you, as we'll talk about, you, you see her bring her musical skills two different roles over the years, some more subtle than others, but she definitely does it. Um, her first TV episode was in a country practice in 1990, did one episode of that. And then in the 90s, I mean, she did a ton of theater work. So definitely a performer who got her roots on the theater side. First major role in 1991 is Spotswood or the efficiency expert, depending on where you find it. And it's a role that got Tony some some recognition from the Australian side of things. So Rigby's got it. It's a 1991 comedy film that turns into a drama by the end of the movie. And um, the cast in this movie is incredible. Anthony Hopkins is the main character. Tony Collette, Russell Crowe, Ben Mendelsohn. Um, so all the best of the best who are now the best of the best Australian actors are in this. The only one missing, I think, was Kate Blanchett. This movie uh, revolves around Anthony Hopkins, who plays a wealthy sort of, I don't want to say industrialist, his job is basically to uh, find companies and how they can streamline their work process and downsize and make them, which is where the name of the movie comes from, the efficiency expert, make them more efficient. And um, he has led to this small town in Australia called Spotswood where there's this moccasin factory that um, he views as a place where downsizing could be could be beneficial for the company and tony colette is named windy in this movie and she works at the at the factory along with ben Mendelssohn. great turn of the villain uh role for russell crowe this is like the first movie that he's sort of like the bad guy in that i that i could find that i could think of and obviously i think he plays a good villain in in um in other stuff as well but um i will say i like this movie it's really charming because obviously you kind of get where it's going, you know, this guy who who thinks that firing all these people is beneficial to the company, he learns to adapt with them and interact with them, you know, outside of work, uh going out for going out for drinks with them, finds out their lifestyle and realizes that, you know, maybe maybe letting these people go from this company is not the best way to do this. And so um you can kind of guess what how the how it ends and how it what it turns into. Uh, I like this movie. I saw it on YouTube. Um, it's free streaming there. I will say, I don't know if you, have you guys ever heard of the movie Local Hero? Local Hero is a movie from the 80s where a oil 
salesman for an oil company goes to Scotland and discovers that he's there to he's there to find land where he can uh, where he can they can expand their oil business and he finds that this village that he's in in Scotland is filled with eccentric and he has like a guilty conscience to 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 do that with his job and to to take over these people's you know jobs and land and I think I would have liked this movie better if I hadn't seen that because Local Hero is a great movie and I just kind of thought this was like a knockoff of that but nothing to, nothing to take away from Tony in this she's she's really charming as as a factory worker and she ends up being Ben Mendelsohn's love interest in the end of the movie so um yeah if you have a if you have a free hour and a half go check it out it's a fun cute little watch is this a prequel to Horrible Bosses the Australian prequel rolling around in special little chairs <laughs> I want you to fire the fat people, Craig. <laughs> <laughs> what does he say after that? Uh, Some uh, like make me sick. Like I don't like looking at him. Yeah, he's just like she's pregnant. He's like whatever makes me sick. I don't like looking at him. <laughs> I want you to fire Professor Xavier, rolling around in his stupid little chair. Oh yeah. But yeah, this is uh, it's it's fun, and yeah, the the. The cast of characters in this man, I mean, the fact that Anthony Hopkins is like the now like the least popular person in this movie, just with like Ben Mendelsohn, who's awesome in everything. Tony Collette, who's awesome in everything. And obviously Russell Crowe, who's, you know, in a, the best. So, yeah, I, I really enjoyed it from a just from seeing all these young people and knowing what they would turn into 30 years down the road was really cool. Yeah, everything I read about it, I was like, well, let's do this first major. And I have a feeling Rigby is going to really enjoy this because of all the, the talent that's on display here. Oh, yeah. Did you watch it? No, I didn't get a, get a chance to, unfortunately. But I did um, I did see that the Australian Film Institute recognized three actors with nominations, and none of them were Anthony Hopkins or Russell Crowe, which I thought was interesting. It's Mendelssohn, Tony Collette, and then Alwyn Kurtz. Yeah, Alwyn Kurtz is the old... He's the owner of the moccasin factory who brings in Anthony Hopkins. We got seven years until our next review. The first... One I'll note here uh, is The Thief and the Cobbler. It's a movie we reviewed on the Matthew Broderick episode. Case did a full review on it. The, this bonkers production situation, right? It's like Aladdin in a lot of ways. The fact that it lost $24.3 million is, is significant. Yes, it is. <laughs> significant to somebody. It's a cultural story and nothing but like white actors playing all the voice roles too. <laughs> That's another little nugget there. You know, like an Aladdin type story like Matthew Broderick and Tony Collette uh, that are really Yeah. Just like your history book taught you. <laughs> exactly. But she played the nurse and the good witch in that animated production. So early on that had a lot of Miramax. So there was a lot of production issues on that one. First big lead role was in Muriel's Wedding in 1994, a role that earned her a Golden Globe nom and an Australian Best Actor Award, a role that she gained 40 pounds for. I've watched this episode and I did not realize it was going to be like Mamma Mia with as much ABBA that's in this damn movie. I did see the fact that she gained 40 pounds and she gained 40 pounds in seven weeks, which is insane. I could probably do that in like two, but for a woman, that's like impossible. The first like 60 seconds of that movie... I did not recognize her. <laughs> no. <laughs> I wonder what role she has. And then I was like, oh, man. <laughs> She's really young, too. She doesn't have kind of that, like, real thin face that we're used to seeing with her. Like, the cheekbones are not nearly as pronounced. No, and it, she gained those 40 pounds because her character's, like, hopeless 
when it comes to relationships is desperately wants to get married and will do anything like stealing money from her parents to go on a vacation so that way she can tricks a guy into marrying her and i mean she's you could see the acting chops in her very early in this one scene where he's like motorboating her and she's like laughing in the middle of it and then the guys come in and think she's being sexually assaulted and they don't know what's going on it's very off-putting <laughs> yes that that is an odd one <laughs> with a, the beanbag yeah she's just like laughing the whole time it was an odd one for sure it was essentially a breakthrough yeah it, it's it's very impressive like you can tell why she got other roles from that movie uh, how, how old was she? 19. She was born in 72, so that would have made her 21. Yeah, uh, it's, it, was, it was very good. She has a, a lot of opportunity to kind of go the full, full range of emotions of a, you know, kind of a teenager, uh, young adult uh, in that, kind of that confusing, challenging time. And it's, it's great. Uh, a lot of um, very good like self-discovery in that one as well. I was really hoping Porpoise Spit was a real place in Australia. <laughs> yeah, it's like the last shot, right? It's like you're now leaving Porpoise Spit. If, if you're a Tony Collette fan, I think it, you got to go watch it. Doesn't look anything like her. I'm looking at pictures now. I even had a hard time recognize her, recognizing her in a movie we're going to talk about coming up with Sixth Sense. 1996, she played Harriet in Emma, period piece, alongside Gwyneth Paltrow. This was my DNF of the episode, boys. Yeah. Couldn't do it. I started and gave up about 35 minutes. I think I brought this up before, but am I, am I the only one that doesn't understand the Gwyneth Paltrow? I don't think anyone does, man. No, I don't think anybody does anymore, to be completely honest with you. I, I just never got why she was a star. Well, she's very pretty. It was super pretty. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's a period piece, and I, I will say this about Tony Collette. It's a very different character than... Anything else I've really seen her do throughout her career. Pretty unique. She she didn't make a career out of doing period pieces, thankfully, in my God. humble opinion. But, I mean, it's a Jane Austen experience. So, like, if you're super into that, it's it's got good ratings. Jane Austen is one of those things where it's like, oh, I get it. These are lovely stories. It's just, I think this is what Warren, like, quit the show over was Jane Austen movies. <laughs> I saw the one with uh, Anya Taylor-Joy from two years ago, and it was, like, fine. It has a kind of a different feel to it, but I just can't get into it. Clock Watchers, 1997, she played Iris, a, a movie alongside Parker Posey and Lisa Kudrow. It's kind of like a an office space for women, is this what I noticed from watching it. Very dry, definitely an independent-type film about four women who work in an office space who are all temps. And another movie that's got really good reviews that people really enjoy. I think it's a little bit of a cult classic. But a lot of people love The Sixth Sense. 1999, her one and only Oscar nom for Best Supporting Actress. This movie rocks as much as I'll hate on M. Night. Um, this movie is tremendous. The first time everyone sees it, it shocks them. Actually, so much so that uh, Lonely Island wrote a song called jizz in my pants and one of the lines references the twist ending in this movie <laughs> and my wife loves that song right she loves it she thinks it's hilarious she knows all the words <laughs> and she had mentioned to me she's never seen six Sense, and so we watched it and watching her put together the twist i was like i was wondering when you were going to do it and she didn't do it until the <gasps> end when it's revealed i was like you you know this is the movie they're talking about in lonely island she's like 
Ah. <laughs> I, oh my gosh. I have trouble believing she doesn't know the twist just from it being so culturally popular. Uh, well, then the caveat I always say to this is uh, she was homeschooled until middle school. So there's like just a whole mm-hmm. pop culture blank spot. Well, that's a life. treat for her in this case. Yeah. Oh, this movie's amazing. Of like the most uniquely told horror stories. Yeah. It's fun to rewatch. It was the first time I've really rewatched it since. Me too. I think it originally came out. So watching it, knowing what's coming, I felt it was more engaging this time around because I'm sitting there watching, trying to figure out, was I dumb? Like, how dumb was I originally? And actually, the scene that sells it for me was when one of the first times he's talking to her and she's at the restaurant and she won't pay attention. Right at the end, she goes, happy anniversary. And without that line, I don't know if people buy it, but when she says happy anniversary, I think at that moment as the audience, you're like, oh, she's talking to him. And then you're in. He's got you locked at that moment in time. Nate Bargatze has a great bit about it where he's he's like, we saw that movie and uh, spoiler, Bruce Willis is dead the whole time. He's like, married men saw that movie and said, it's more likely that his wife just didn't talk to him for a year because she was mad at him. And we're like, Oh yeah, that makes all the sense in the world. Yeah, it's your fault you got <laughs> shot, you idiot. <laughs> He's like, it's more, it's more believable that our yeah, wives wouldn't believable. talk to us for a whole year <laughs> than this guy being dead. <laughs> I think the scene that got her nominated though uh, for the Oscar is the scene at the end in the car where Haley Joel Osment is explaining his powers essentially and how he can see dead people, and he sees her mother. Yeah. It goes from like we're stuck in traffic to this sucks to like she is full on bawling and like the the emotional intensity of it is so believable and I watch it, it gives me chills. That scene's amazing. You know, a lot of scary movies, it's the jump scares that are memorable. And this one, like those were just the appetizers for the twist. And I, I really appreciated that. My buddy in college used the line all the time when we would like be drunk like pre gaming and he would say like you want to go see my dad's gun? <laughs> Just to, like, fuck with people. Because that part, that was the first jump scare of that movie, and I almost, like, shit my pants. <laughs> oh, that one fucks you up, man, when he crosses the screen like that. Yeah, you're like, oh, my oh, God. Oh, yeah. It still stands up to this day. I was pretty yeah, impressed. it does. Yeah, it does. I hadn't seen it before. I was just, like, a little too young when it came out. Oh, wow. But you, So you did know the twist, though? Of course I knew the twist. Yeah, of course, that boy. Right. <laughs> he wasn't homeschooled. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> when you watch it knowing the twist, you're like, oh, this is this is clear what's happening here. Uh, but I agree with Kyle. Like when you see the dinner scene, it's like the line is there, sells it, but it's also like delivered in a bit of a, you know, kind of a negative space kind of tone. So it plays both ways. It's it's yep. really it's it's a different I would imagine it's probably a different experience not knowing the twist. And still an equally like fantastic experience knowing the twist on the first time you rewatch it or subsequent times. I was going to say in this movie, uh, talking about how she, her age, she could play like age range of anything. She's actually only 15 years older than Haley Joel Osment in this movie. What? Wow. Yeah. <laughs> it was incredible in this movie, by the way, yeah. too. Haley Joel Osment is a powerhouse. That, yeah. That- also, if you guys are really interested in, for our listeners, Go to YouTube, type in John Early's impression of Tony Collette in The Sixth Sense. It will give you all the giggles because it's such an iconic scene that people obviously have to make fun of it. 
and he does a spot on job. And then there's another video of her reacting to his <laughs> his impression. And so you get into the whole Bo Burnham layers thing that goes on. It got her an Oscar nomination early in her career, right? She what? How long has she been acting? I guess since '91, so eight years in, got recognized by the Academy. Unfortunately, hasn't been recognized since. But whoa. She's in her bag. She's in her prime right now, so I don't think she's going to have yeah. to wait long for that. So we'll, we'll hold on that. I agree. Well, Willennium hits 2000 and makes an appearance in Shaft alongside our boy Dan Hedaya in 2000. Played Diane. To kind of pivot over back to the theater side, she was in a play called The Wild Party, and she got a Tony nom for Best Actress in a Musical. So seeing some more of that singing work and seeing that she's doing... Again, stupendous things on the stage. This woman can do pretty much anything. Tap dance? She studied that. Yeah, she did. So she probably can. <laughs> yeah. Swim. She can tap dance while she swims. Let's do it. Definitely whoop your ass in netball. Yeah. Netball in the pool with tap dancing shoes on. <laughs> no one's better at it than Tony Collette. All right, James, let's hear a little bit about our largest critic app, which is Dinner with Friends from 2001. So it is quite a large uh, critic app. It is 90%. Uh, approved by the critics and only 46% approved by the audience. So audience didn't like it. Critics loved it. Um, this movie is actually an HBO movie that is based on a play by the same name, Dinner with Friends, which was very successful and came out a year earlier and won a Pulitzer Prize in drama. So the made-for-TV movie stars Dennis Quaid, Andy McDowell, Greg Kinnear, and our woman of the hour, Tony Collette. And it's essentially those four actors exclusively. Um, so Dennis Quaid and Andy McDowell are food critics, and they've been happily married for like 12 years. they got two kids. And one day their friend, uh, Tony Collette, uh, is invited over for dinner, and she breaks the news to them that her and her husband, who's played by Greg Kinnear, are getting separated because he's having an affair um, and given that all four of them are friends with the husbands being close friends and the wives being close friends, um, McDowell and Quaid start to essentially like defend each other over what their best friend had. I, I find this interesting because my wife and I have a couple that we're very close with and I was their best man at their wedding. And since then, my wife and his wife have become best friends. And we had this conversation once in passing where I was like, well, if they broke up, like, he's still going to be like one of my best friends. And she's like, no, we would have to support her. I was like, the fuck we would. And like, we had that conversation. <laughs> Gotta love the hypothetical scenario arguments. Right. And like, they're, they're doing fine. It was just one of those things that like came up. As I mentioned, the movie originates uh, from a stage play and it's actually very obvious because most of this movie is just those four people uh, in various kind of combos sitting around and talking. And it's more of a, kind of a character study so you can only make it like so interesting visually because it's more so about the dialogue um because of that the movie relies uh exclusively on those actors selling that story and for the most part they deliver the acting seemed very stage style uh but overall i enjoyed it um i'd say all of them do really well but i think colette and kinnear's characters are the more interesting dramatic roles and so they're given the scenes essentially to steal where they're like the crying character or this screaming character um, or the one who's like kind of going through that introspective, uh, depressive thought. 
Um, but I wouldn't give this movie a 90. Uh, I can understand why people didn't like it because again, you're kind of in the same location with not a lot going on other than the conversations. Um, but I would give it more towards like a seven out of 10, uh, where it's probably only good for like a one time watch. You're way more gracious than I am, James, because I hated this movie. In particular, <laughs> I hated Annie McDowell's frenetic character. Her, like, I felt like somebody made a bet with her and was like, hey, can you overact all day for every day of the set? And she was like, fuck yeah. I did that weird Holocaust accent in that other movie. I'll go in and just overact the whole time in this fair completely fair that's why like so on your scale then where how far off was i where would you be at probably closer to like a 40 okay for myself and and i think it's because this is a like a mood film i think to where you got to be in the right mood for this 100 story you know what i mean i i don't i just don't think i was to like sit down and it's lower production quality it's a made for tv movie and so I know it's an HBO film, but you get, the production you could just tell is a lot less than what you absolutely see. so. Uh, but I, I like Tony. I I thought Tony and Greg were the best part of the movie. I, Dennis and Andy, I was like me. But I enjoyed Greg Kinnear and Tony Collette are having this like horrific argument where they're just saying the most belittling shit to each other, and then they start fucking. Well, they do start fucking, <laughs> but before they start, you know, having makeup sex, uh, he asks her if the food critics made food while she was there and she's like yeah how was it he's like delicious he's like it was delicious right and they like real quick like stop and like man i'm so fucking jealous of like the food you got to eat (laughs) like they're so good at cooking and then they get back to like just cutting each other down as hard as possible and that made me laugh yeah i I saw that i was like tony's dramatic chops i mean they're there she's fucking killing this scene absolutely and then i thought they were literally gonna murder each other next thing you know they're sucking face and getting after it i'm like all right let's go here we are devil's advocate i don't think she's the most interesting or second most interesting character i think she's third i think uh kinnear and dennis quaid were the most interesting in that order personally what's her name dennis quaid's wife was kind of just like the the black and white, you know, yeah. for argument's sake person and didn't add a ton. Um, it, we can all agree Andy McDowell was the worst of the four. Uh, we're on the same page. Yeah, all right. I, I mean, want to make uh, sure we're there. there. There was just no, like, no nuance to, and I can totally understand that where it's like, no, he cheated, he's the bad guy. And, I'll, you know, it's Dennis Quaid's like, there's more to relationships than that. That's what I found most interesting was like the two of them were basically debating the gray areas and, getting into that whereas that was the most interesting part of that conversation and that exploration of you know decision making and life philosophy uh, so I, I was most interested when they were having those kind of heart to heart or really pushing each other in a lot of cases i also liked when they did the flashback and you realize that like from the moment they hooked them up like greg kinnear was just kind of like their horny friend and <laughs> it's not like <laughs> yes. he was in the mood to get married and he just got married <laughs> hippie colette from her early days yeah she got the juices flowing he's like yeah "Yeah, sure i was like oh i wonder why this marriage didn't work out and then they show it's like yeah they they were not built for each other from the start it's like her precursor look for about a boy five years later which we'll get to a couple more years before our next review first movie i'll mention here is changing lanes she played michelle a movie alongside william hurt rest in peace and if you've never seen changing lanes it's the, the movie essentially starts with Ben Affleck. I believe he's a lawyer 
trying to take care of a, a case and he gets into a car crash with Sam Samuel L. Jackson. Changing lanes, right? Yeah, it triggers a whole series of events because they get their paperwork mixed up and you know, the chaos and nerve that come from that. I just remember this movie being so disappointing. And when I say that, it's because I love, like, the, I think the premise of it's really cool, and I love those two yeah. actors, but it's just, like, it's just not very good. The pacing of it is frantic. Very frantic. And nothing comes together. The premise of it is, like you said, Kyle, it's, like, how one sort of thing can lead to a chain reaction of disastrous things, and it's it's almost like it needs to, like, slow down. I'm with you. It's like a Tony Scott movie on steroids. <laughs> I will say I did watch it for the William Hurt episode and enjoyed it thoroughly, but it's been a long time, and I can't remember a ton. I don't remember Tony Collette's character at all, so maybe it's not as good as I thought it was. But we also watch, like, fucking hundreds of movies yeah. for this podcast, so I've, if they're not right up there, I'll forget about it. Kyle, sometimes you'll ask me about a movie that I reviewed, and I'll be like, dude, I don't know what you're talking about. You're like, yeah, we reviewed it on this episode. You That's did it. True. I was like, what? Oh, yeah, I did. <laughs> that was fucking 52 episodes ago. You don't expect me to remember that? I was that? like, dude, that was two years ago. I have no idea. You what know, you, you, you save space in your brain for the episode, and, like, and you right. record it, and then I'm like, all right, moving on. And I'm like, <laughs> people are like, what are your thoughts on that movie with... Lena Headey. I'm like, I'll just go listen to the episode. It's, they're they're etched there. You have to show me a picture of the movie, like a still frame. I'll be like, yes, I do know the movie you're talking about. Yes, okay. My brain switched <laughs> that stuff out to make room for other stuff. Yeah, exactly. We don't have big brains around here. <laughs> that happened to me tonight. <laughs> yeah, I was about to say, Thief and the Cobbler. Craig's like, mm. Oh, yeah, you're right. You're right. <laughs> about a boy. She got a BAFTA nom for a role as Fiona. Type of, I mean, she plays a mom. She plays a mom in a lot of things built a career on it. This is a suicidal mom who uh, is not having the best of times. This was also a huge critic gap. Huge. Critics, 93%. Mm -hmm. Fans, not so much. 55. Where do you sit on that, James? Are you a fan of About a Boy? No, this was going to be my backup um, if I couldn't find dinner with friends. I was like, all right, About a Boy it is. But then once I found it, I was like, all right, I'm only doing one of these. I'd never seen it before, and I did not realize that this was like Nicholas Holt's, like, one of his first movies. Yeah. He plays the little kid in this. And I was like, oh, shit, that's Nicholas Holt. No kidding. Tony Collette's got a pretty good British accent in this, too. He does! Yeah. Somebody with a pretty heavy Australian accent, I think she does American accents very well. Does. And does British accents well. I totally agree. I was shocked she was Australian. When I found that, I was like, oh, what? Apparently, it's just super easy to do American accents. I'm never like, oh, no, that's a British person doing American accent. I just always assume everyone's from, like, down the road. <laughs> I saw an interview where she was talking about switching in and out, and she said when she'll like order food or set up a rec- uh, reservation, she's like, I just got to hit the hard R. And she'd be like, Thursdays. She's like, that's how I go with the American accent, so people don't ask questions. Dude, we're so simple. It's one letter, and she's in. Uh-huh. <laughs> she's like, just instead of Thursday, she says Thursday. And that's, that's her approach to the American accent. <laughs> I thought you were going to go a whole different way with that one. I thought she was when I was watching the interview when she said hard R. I was so happy you explained it. I was like, oh, no. I was like, Tony, where are we going with this? Seemed remarkably simple when I don't think it is, but she makes it seem simple. She doesn't like working with dialect coaches because they like make her nervous. Mm. <laughs> she's, like, she's like, let me just figure it out on my own. Like, I don't need you critiquing everything. And it seems to be working because I think she's great at it. I don't know if you know, but I'm supremely talented, so leave me alone. Yeah, I've got this on lock. But I will say this about a boy is one of those roles that you see at the top of her IMDb. 
Uh, I think she's f- very good in this role. It's a heavy emotional role as a mother who's struggling mightily with like just life and taking care of her kid. And she nails it. And obviously the movie's more about Hugh Grant as kind of like the playboy who can't get his life together. But um, Tony, I think, compliments him well in this film. Um, the Hours, 2002, alongside Allison Janney and many, many other great actresses. This is a film that's beloved by many. The cast in this is crazy. Julianne Moore, Meryl, Allison Janney, as you said, Jeff Goldblum. And she, she, she has that. So this movie is about, it takes place in the 50s. And she kind of has, I don't know, Tony Collette, I've always thought, has that like look to her. Mm-hmm. She was really good in this. Yeah, that's had like a tour de force of actors in that one. Mm-hmm. It doesn't get much better in terms of a showcase. Kind of hard to stand out when you're going against that competition. Right. Mm-hmm. If we're in a safe space, I've never seen it. We're in the trust tree, James, as you said. Are we in the trust tree? Never seen it. It just looked like a movie to me that was going to be like so dramatic that um, Rodemaker, you might have said it earlier. Oh, no, make Kyle, maybe it was you. Like, you got to be in a mood for it. And I was like, every time I looked, I was like, ah, I don't know. I don't know. And I just never watched it. Considering the other caliber of actors, you're going to get another chance at some point, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I agree. Um, Japanese story. 2003, uh, she played Sandy, a movie I'd never heard of. It's an Australian film. One of the few, like, after the initial days, one of the few Australian films I saw that she did. Mostly she shifted the American film scene. But I will say, this movie, the movie's pretty decent. The story is, she played, um, she's kind of a bigoted Australian woman who ends up getting stuck with a Japanese guy who doesn't really speak much English. And they come from different backgrounds, different worlds. She's transporting him because she's a journalist. And they get like stuck out in the bush. And through that, they start to better understand each other and they start to strike a little bit of a romance. Spoiler alert. <laughs> he fucking jumps into like a pond, like after they've gotten intimate and whatnot, he like kills himself jumping into a pond. He like breaks his neck jumping into the water, which as a cliff diver, I'm like, what are you doing, guy? Come on. What are, you... are you sure? Are you sure that's not rush hour you're talking about? <laughs> he ain't gonna be a rush hour three. Oh, you've been cliff diving before? Once or twice. I've done it. I've dabbled. I call it cliff jumping because there's no fucking way I'm going in head first. No way. <laughs> I'm a weird Never guy who happened. actually dives. I don't know how to dive like that. I'm not going to do it anymore. Well, this don't dive like this guy did in Japanese story because yeah, he did why not survive it, to tell the tale. It does not appeal to me at all. <laughs> Again, one, another one of those like deeper cut movies. If you're a Tony Collette fan and you're listening, I recommend Japanese story. It's streaming in a couple different spots. It's a slower film, but I think it's a, it tells a really unique story. I thought it was cool. I enjoyed it. And then 2003, on the personal side, she married her husband, Dave Galafasi, who is a drummer, was in a band. And I don't know if she technically has a religion, but she said she's always gravitated towards Buddhist principles. So, like, their wedding was a Buddhist wedding, mm-hmm. um, which I think is fascinating. I don't think we've covered anybody that's, like, tied to Buddhism before. Pretty cool. And they're happily married, and I think have two kids, James? Yeah, she has two kids. And as we'll talk about, he is kind of the inspiration for her starting her band, which we'll talk about here shortly. But before we do that, we're going to get into largest audience gap, which Michael Rodmaker drew, which is Connie and Carla. And for those listening, I want you to respect and appreciate how far that this man had to go to get a copy of Connie and Carla <laughs> to review it for us. Did anybody else manage to find Connie and Carla out there? No. 
If you're listening, he's holding a DVD copy of the movie. <laughs> yep. I went to check it out at the local uh, library, and they said some guy, M. Rodmaker, just checked yeah. out the only copy. <laughs> just yanked the only copy. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, so uh, not streaming anywhere. Texting Kyle a little bit uh, last couple days. Like, I think there's a reason why it's not streaming everywhere. To give you the, the overall recap of Connie and Carla, so a little background here. Uh, this is uh, written and led by uh, Nia Vardalos, uh, who was the lead and writer behind My Big Fat Greek Wedding. Um, so after the success of that one, two years later, uh, came out with uh, Connie and Carla. Um, she plays Connie, Tony Collette is Carla. They are two uh, young girls who are uh, kind of working as waitresses, and the owner lets them kind of do some singing and dancing uh, in between. Customers don't give a crap. I feel like it's like in an airport or something similar. Anyway, long story short, owner of their club is like caught up with some drug dealers. They pull him out back for owing the money and basically kill him. Connie and Carla witness this. They see that they witness this, and so they run away and uh, try to disappear. So it takes place in New York. They go to Los Angeles, um, and they try to blend in, basically. And so they had this great idea to change their names, and then immediately went back to Connie and Carla, which is uh, one, of the, one of the points that you'll see in this movie is that uh, the storytelling and the plot is pretty sloppy at times, just a little clunky. Like I, I would kind of describe the overall feel and motivation a lot of this is like along the lines of like a Billy Madison or a Dumb and Dumber type of thing. So it's pretty like jokey, pretty slap happy from a plot standpoint, but there are, there is some silver lining to it. So they get out there, uh, they, they're trying to figure out where they can make a living. Again, love like their stage performance. They want to get up there, land in a place in West Hollywood. There are some drag queens that are moving their show to Vegas. They audition and they jump in and dress uh, in drag as, as women and actually sing instead of lip sync. So they get the part because they're both fantastic singers and performers. The theme of this movie is uh, kind of twofold. One is kind of, and this is, reminder, this is about 2005. So it's not ahead of its time necessarily in um, trying to humanize people who are different than what we would, most of us would consider like normal. Um, but it's, it's kind of right on pace there. So that's, that's one is you kind of, they befriend a lot of the other drag queens that like to perform and they bring them into their show. The other one is, uh, Connie, um, kind of has this love interest, um, with a guy there whose uh, brother is one of the drag queens. Uh, and this is, uh, David Duchovny, uh, from the X-Files is kind of the love interest here. Like a snack, I imagine. That's what he does. I mean, in 2004, man. Guy could get it. You know? <laughs> Before you continue, Mike, I just want you to know I pulled up Connie and Carla over here on MDB, right? Yep. And as you're explaining the movie, the trailer plays in the background, like on silent, on mute. And it was almost like scene for scene, what you were saying was exactly what was going on. Like the whole, like the guy getting <laughs> killed showed up. Them, like, literally leave. As you're talking about them leaving, it shows them in LA. Like every part of your story was following with the trailer. And so I don't know if you were just reading the copy from the trailer 
but you nailed it. <laughs> I can confirm. It was wild. Like, that's why I was laughing and smiling the whole time while I'm watching. I'm like, hey, holy shit, he just talked about that. The issues they tackle in befriending people and, and humanizing people and seeing people for who they are is one of the big draws of the movie. It, it's one of those movies that, like, is worth a watch one time, but I probably won't revisit it he's for tony collette here and again this is why i think there's kind of the largest the audience gap here is like i'm sure you get a lot of these folks that are just you know can't it's the plot is so clunky like the climactic scene is super clunky just like not really believable kind of takes you out of it if you're in kind of the slapsticky kind of you know dumb and dumber comedy mentality it's it's manageable but i mean their boyfriends are basically moving the plot along at a few points don't really play a role. And they're kind of the equivalent of like a sack of potatoes with a jack-o'-lantern head perched on top of it. <laughs> so that's just kind of what you're in for. Just watching the, the singing and the dancing is enjoyable. And there are a few like pretty solid, like laugh out loud moments in it. And I was mentioning this to Kyle, but if any of you all would like to watch Connie and Carla, I'm happy to uh, mail you a copy of the DVD. And, uh, that's so thoughtful. Along or give it away, whatever you want to do. <laughs> You're just a good friend, man. <laughs> I think what we need to do here is we could all respond to that review once, you know, it makes the rounds. We, we just mail it around the country and we all get to watch it. <laughs> yeah, well, just send it to Indiana James and I'll get together. We'll watch it at one yeah, time. Yeah, yeah that'll be go. good. Thanks. <laughs> I don't think I have anything to watch a DVD on anymore. <laughs> Those work on Playstations, right? I was going to say, send your DVD player with it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I got. We got to give our guests credit. We got to give Rob Mix credit. I mean, I'm most impressed. guests would be like, "I can't find it. Yeah. What's a new one?" This man literally went on Amazon and bought a DVD for this. That's remarkable. He's the MVP in my book. Huge prop. I will say, I spent more time getting my DVD player dusted off and in shape to play the <laughs> DVD than I spent buying the DVD online. <laughs> like, where's the wire to that thing? Like the like, remote? Yeah, I needed to. <laughs> I needed to plug it in because it had been unplugged for the Nintendo Switch, and yeah, right. I was behind the TV for a solid six to seven minutes, and I had to replace the batteries in the remote. Like, it was a whole thing. So, where would you officially fall, Mike? Uh, it's a seventy forty four split audience to critics uh so i would like if i'm rating this against other movies i'm on the 44 side but it's it's not to a point where it's not worth yeah a watch like it's it's worth if i had to rate it i would say like it's a watch once get your laughs out of it like enjoy the music scenes like a decent semi-glowing review <laughs> 44 for a comedy is I, the way you described it, it's like, yeah, maybe I might, I might be the one who laughs harder. I should check that out. Like that's right in the range. That and like horror movies, I, was, I get a forty-four. I was like, oh, all right, I might look that up. Uh, Rodmaker, I figured out where you should send this. Don't send it to one of us. Send it to your favorite streaming site, Netflix, Hulu, Prime, whatever, and say, put this on your fucking website so people like me don't have to buy it. Mr. YouTube, please, in Palo Alto, upload this. <laughs> We're going to keep it cruising into her shoes. 2005, alongside Cameron Diaz, played Rose. She's like, isn't, her, isn't Cameron like a little bit of a free spirit in this movie? Yeah. She's a wild girl, basically. Yeah, she's pretty wild. And, and Tony's very much a square, if I remember this correctly. Yeah, she's like the mom with kids and like, you know, she's never yeah. never wears never wears makeup and stuff. So yeah, they're complete opposite sisters in this. The lawyer. And she's rocking the brunette in this one too, again. Mm -hmm. That's a good one. Is is this one of those nineties uh, I mean obviously it's in two thousand five, but like one of those 
comedies where one of they they try to like make it a funny yet heartwarming story around cancer because when i think of this movie for some reason like a, a cancer story pops into my head no it, it's just her like learning to like tolerate and understand where her sister's coming from and why she's so different from her yeah it, it's it's mostly about this the sister's coming to terms with one another Cameron Diaz's character. I mean, they basically go through and find their estranged grandmother. Cameron Diaz like works at an assistant living center down there and finds herself. Whereas uh, Tony Collette's character is trying to ultimately like find like more authentically relating people. It's, it's a lot of her and trying to come together with her sister. I don't know that that gives it real justice, but it's not quite a rom-com. There's a- the one, what am I thinking of that's like, is that Sarandon who's in a cancer comedy? That's Stepmom. Stepmom, thank you. Stepmom with Julia Roberts and Sarandon. I, I got these two confused. In this movie, she plays uh, Diaz's older sister, but she's actually younger than her in real life. There you go. Two James's uh, thesis from earlier. Yep. Continue to point to it. Play any age. Another one of those movies that she's commonly known for, Little Miss Sunshine, plays Cheryl. It's a big supporting cast, so she's just one of many, I think, in this one. But she got Golden Globe and BAFTA noms for her role. And Brian Cranston is in his one scene in this movie. He makes one very, very brief appearance. So we've talked about this, just not much. This is my first time ever watching this movie. Oh, really? Wow. It was delightful. I enjoyed it thoroughly. Yeah, this movie was awesome. There was laugh out loud moments. There was stressful, dramatic moments. Uh, it lived up to the hype in my eyes. Alan Arkin, is that the actor? Yeah, yeah. It's I always get him and Alan Alda mixed up, but it's Arkin. He is so fucking funny in this that like I immediately was telling Kay, like, I think you would like to rewatch this with me. <laughs> I was like, Grandpa is such a piece of shit, but he's a really good grandpa. He's such a dickhead, but he's giving out like his true, honest advice. <laughs> like he's really trying to help these kids out. You know, it's a f- hilarious film when the family has to scheme to sneak a dead body out of the hospital to put into the back of their truck to get to a fucking patch. <laughs> it's so good. It was very enjoyable. And I think just like the absolute pure innocence of uh, Abigail Breslin, like mm-hmm. gives the movie so much heart. Cause like these adults are just going through the ringer, all of them. And uh, she is just like the most happy go lucky, like lovely little girl, like so excited. Grandpa's blowing lines and teaching her about pageants. <laughs> and I don't think Tony's a standout, at least not from my perspective. I, I don't think she she's just part of the, the larger. Yeah, she, she plays like the doting mother who's like, yeah. you know what? If everything's fucking miserable in our lives, at least our little girl can get something. I love Steve Carell giving Greg Kinnear shit. It was just such good, like brother-in-law shit talk he's like yeah i'm the guy who tried to kill myself but i think you're like a fucking idiot like (laughs) he's just like belittling him the whole time i love alan arkin and i was very happy that he won best supporting actor in this role all right so oh six um she this is the when she released her band's album beautiful awkward pictures how would you for those who did listen to her music how would you describe it for our list ahead of its time i know how i would describe it ahead of its time yeah it's got the like kind of spoken singing of like Taylor Swifty vibes where like it's no longer it does, like, yeah. It? It's like the folklore, the the most recent album here. It's kinda like, you know, she's singing and talking and it's very poetic. It's not something you'd put on at a party, I'd say that. No. It's 
singer-songwriter-ish, and it's slower, so it's not a fast-paced type of music. I've had the song Beautiful Awkward Picture. It's kind of stuck in my head a little bit the last week. I did, I did like it on Spotify. Um, but C- Tony is a good singer. I'll give her credit. She's a good singer. Yeah, I agree. And she wrote mm-hmm. every single song. So, available on Spotify. The album's called Beautiful Aqua. If you guys had to guess how many monthly Spotify listeners she has, let me hear the numbers. <laughs> Seven. I didn't look. That okay. 12,000. All right. Oh, 50,000. Uh, 187. <laughs> She's got 321 monthly listeners. Nice. <laughs> oh, wow. More than us. <laughs> She's putting up months in numbers. Honestly, I was a little shocked that, because I think the the songs that the most listens are like a thousand play. So it's, it's almost like people don't know her I'm stuff. I'm surprised by that too. Yep. Mm-hmm. I think it's just the fact that it's like the one album and then they never made another one. And so mm-hmm. it's like, if they don't put this up, like who's, you know, it's just the same 12 songs over and over again. They're not coming out with new stuff. In the mid 2000 there, there's a couple horror films just kind of foreshadows some, some of the conversations we'll have about other horror films, but like mine slash murderous intent where you find it. Played Sally, a psychologist, alongside a, a younger Eddie Redmayne in a, a movie that was also pretty close to being an audience gap film. The gap was pretty significant there, too. So, Dead Girl 2006. It's a pretty stacked cast. I mean, we're talking like Carrie Washington, uh, Josh Brolin. Like, there's some big time actors in it. And it's like this five different people and how they're connected to the story about this dead girl. But it also has really good reviews. Tsunami, the aftermath, the. A miniseries, I believe it was HBO, alongside Tim Roth, got her Golden Globe and Emmy noms. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was on HBO. Two episodes to that, I know. So it's still streaming. This is an intense. It's based off the 2004 tsunami, and it's intense. I remember watching it back in the day. Mm-hmm. Boy, Tim Roth, too. He's a great actor as well. Emmy Fresh. As I say, when this came out, I felt like it was too soon to the actual tragedy. I was like, I have no interest in watching that. And then looking back at it now, it's just like, eh. Too late. Yeah. I'm fairly certain I have a dentist out here that likes to play free TV like movies on a monitor like in front of you. And I was in the dentist office on like a Wednesday at 12 o'clock and this movie was playing. Get the fuck out of here. And I was like, this is not the vibe that I need yeah. at this hour. <laughs> you want to see a thousand people get wiped out horrifically? You're like, I'm good. That's exactly what it was. Are you sure it wasn't the Ewan McGregor, uh, Naomi Watts one? It could have been. That's a movie that's based off this tsunami as well. No okay. way. His rationale was to reinforce you. It, it could be worse. <laughs> well, we got some meaty stuff coming. So the, I guess the last quick mention I'll, I'll give is Marion Max alongside Philip Seymour Hoffman. Some voice acting work here. Played Mary. So they were the two title characters in that animated film. You Very unique animated picture if you've ever seen it or ever seen the stills. <laughs> United States of Terra. 29 or 2009 to 2011 another the, well this one she got emmy and golden globe wins for her role and this was this came up a couple weeks ago because somebody posted a photo you know this this thing is over 10 years old they're still in the new york subway system somewhere there's still a poster of united states and Terra sitting up somewhere <laughs> i saw that which i haven't seen it but it based on what i read like she's playing like a whole bunch of different characters because she has multiple personality disorder in the show, right? It's an acting tour de force by her. I've only seen like a few episodes um, and I remember watching it back in the day and just not continuing with it. But yeah, she is definitely a manic 
great actress in this, but yeah, it, it definitely takes takes a toll on you while you're watching it for sure. Yeah, yeah, because she's a she she plays someone who's got like a split personality, so she's I think she plays like four or five different characters. Yeah, it's at least four. It might be five. Yeah. The only thing I know, like I didn't even know the show was on at the time, but then I learned about it watching Billy on the Street when he uh, <laughs> he hosts his own fake Thanksgiving Day parade, and it's him and actually Katie Couric, and they're talking about the floats coming down, and one of the floats is just the United States of Tara float. It's a huge parade float of just all of her characters on the show. <laughs> she actually won the awards for that one, too, just to prove my point. Yeah. We've been talking about her getting nominated for a bunch of Emmys and Golden Globes. She won for that yeah. one. So I think that's important to note. Um, but Fright Night, she played Jane 2011. I enjoyed this movie. In fact, I, I rewatched it tonight right before we started. Yeah. Two little tidbits that I, I, I like about this movie. Number one, there's a version of the song 99 Problems by Hugo that's in the soundtrack. And it only shares the title with the Jay-Z song. The rest of the song is completely different. And the other thing is, we've got a, uh, we've got a nice little cameo here. From Mr. Susan Sarandon, Chris Sarandon. Oh, oh Prince Humperdinck? <laughs> He's in the original Fright Night from the 80s. Yo, dude, there's a good cast in this movie, too, Case. Yeah, it's good. Dave Franco, Imogen Poots, Christopher Mintz-Plass, Colin Farrell, Anton Yelchin. Hell yeah. I love that cast. I mean, she's got a, a major role when the movie kind of turns and they're starting to fight the vampires. She does really well in this movie, and it's a fun watch. It's paced well. It was a shot originally to be a 3D movie, like true 3D. It wasn't special effects 3D. Another horror. Not the best movie I've ever seen, but it's a good watch. She's quietly building a good horror resume. Oh, yeah. Point yeah. Doing, doing the work here. We'll skip a year to 2013 to a movie we talked about a, a bunch mm-hmm. on the podcast with Sam Rockwell, Maya Rudolph, Allison Janney, The Way Way Back. She plays Pam who's essentially the mother of the main character in the movie who doesn't understand that Steve Carell is treating her like shit until the absolute end of the film. So that, when you think about it, like considering how they end the film, it's, it's really about her and her son like starting to like understand, I guess, advocate for themselves is the theme they're going for there. I don't know. But it's really Sam Rockwell's film. He's so fucking charming and charismatic in this Yeah. Kind of that coming of age story too. Honestly, this is one of those that I, in the whole process of preparing for this, I know this is not like a big role for Tony Collette, but this whole movie is just really enjoyable. So delightful. Yeah, it's great. Allison Janney's hilarious. Yeah, as the the next door neighbor, she's all sorts of energy. Maya Rudolph is her sassy self. It's like this this movie of all the months that we've covered, in terms of those four and what they do best, this might be the best example of what those four can bring to the table like rockwell being a charismatic charming lead janny being like an off-the-wall character supporting um, tony being a very compassionate mother and maya just being a smart ass like they all nailed their their roles her and steve carell are good together too you saw it in this and you saw it in little miss sunshine as well here's what i didn't know i didn't know that nat faxon has an oscar did you know that no i do not he was in that fucking awful David Spade movie that I watch on Netflix. <laughs> well, I know Nat Faxon from Beer Fest and shit like that. And I'm like, yeah. and then you learn. So Nat Faxon and Jim Rash wrote and directed this. And Jim Rash is like the white guy with the glasses, the real nerdy one in the movie, um, who never leaves the park. That's him. 
they're the ones who directed and wrote The Descendants from 2011. Yep. They won an Oscar for that, for the screenplay. Yeah. And I was like, fucking Nat Faxon has, has an Oscar. Like, what is going on in the world around us? I don't know. So that blew me away. I didn't know that. Three Six Mafia also has an Oscar, too. I'm pretty sure. That's true. Highest critic is Enough Said from 2013. Case has it. Yeah, Enough Said is a rom-com drama, whatever you want to call it, starring Julia Louise dreyfus James Gandolfini, Catherine Keener, Tony Collette, and Ben Falcone. So right away, really, really fun actors and actresses. It's written by Nicole Hall of Center. Now, she hasn't done a lot of things of note, but I name her just because I think this is an incredibly well-written film. The movie is about Julia Louise dreyfus She's like a single mom, divorced, the love story between her and James Gandolfini. So the two of them share the screen most of the time. And number one, he's a legend, right? He's an unbelievable actor. And number two, this movie is perfectly in her wheelhouse. I haven't watched a ton of her, but I, I recognize everything I see her in. And this is probably the best thing I've ever seen her. Yeah, I agree. I think she's great. She is so... Everything in this movie, charming, funny, heartbreaking, just everything. She meets James Gandolfini at a party. They kind of have a back and forth. And then he leaves, and then she goes and meets Catherine Keener's character at the same party. So she was bragging to her her brother and sister-in-law, who's played by Tony Collette, that, uh, hey, I, I made a new friend tonight, and I got a new client. Well, fast forward into the story, it turns out that Catherine Keener is actually James Gandolfini's ex-wife. Anytime Gandolfini is hanging out with Julia Louise Dreyfus, he's complaining about his ex-wife, and she doesn't know it. And every time she's hanging out with Keener, she's complaining about her ex-husband, and she doesn't know it until she meets the daughter. And so it's a it's a, a pretty well-crafted story. Um, it didn't feel played out like a lot of rom-coms do. Um, and, and it did well with critics. So, I mean, hitting with 95%, I think it's pretty accurate. The film was received very well. Unfortunately, I think one of the things that helped this film be received well is that it was Gandolfini's last film. I agree. I believe he passed away before it even came out. Is that right, James? Yeah, that's correct. Was this his last movie or was it The Drop? I thought it was The Drop. I could be wrong, though. I think it was the last one he filmed. Yeah. So and he already filmed The Drop and then it was this and this came out before The Drop. Got it, yeah. Yep, The Drop yep, came out right. last. You're all right. Everybody's right. It's a super charming movie. It's paced incredibly well. It's well written. It's very heavy dialogue. And it's okay, right? Because everybody, you know, when they're throwing the ball around between all these different actors and actresses, everybody's delivering a really good performance. Tony Collette plays, like I said, the sister-in-law, and, and she's charming, and she's witty, and she's got a, her, her subplot is really interesting because she and her husband need to fire the, the, um, the maid, but she has a hard time doing it. And it's just a, it's a really interesting and, and kind of quirky subplot. And uh, my favorite part is when she's getting on to the maid about stuff and the maid just starts yelling back at her and, and arguing with her. It's pretty it's pretty funny because it's all revolving around a softball that's in a drawer. And Colette gets mad at the maid and starts going, why, why would this softball be in the drawer? And then she start, the maid starts yelling back. The maid quits and she walks out the door and Julia Louise Dreyfus goes, now's probably a bad time to tell you guys, I think I put the ball in the drawer. <laughs> <laughs> Especially like Gandolfini, there's really well written and really well delivered comic relief so that even when you're in these really like deep conversations mm -hmm. you get a, a laugh and like it's it's still fun and light enough to carry you on 
Yeah. Gandolfini is my favorite actor. So I was absolutely one of the people who was swayed by this movie just because of the timing. And then to see him in a role like this after coming from Tony Soprano and he's this like physically imposing man. And then in this movie, he's like this like sensitive kind of tender guy who like, you know, like he, he could put on like a tough face, but like when she says something kind of biting, like it hurts him. And you're used to seeing him as this, like the, one of the, you know, one of the most tough mob bosses there is. And then to come to this, it just showed his range. And so when he passed, it was so sad. So I, I, I am biased towards liking this movie and it, I don't know if I can give it a fair rating. Cause I just always said, I liked it. I love the two main characters. I think uh, Julia Louis Dreyfus is amazing. And so with those two together, they could just be like, reading the phone book and i'd be like oh my god i'm mesmerized <laughs> if you haven't seen this and, and and you see it on watch it it's an easy watch and and you'll enjoy it okay well, we'll keep her going uh tammy another movie we mentioned a ton susan sarandon gary cole allison janney a movie that is universally panned that everybody seems to hate with melissa mccarthy but tony plays missy in that movie also 2014 she is in a movie about a suicide pact between Pierce Brosnan, her, and Imogen Poots, and Aaron Paul. They all, for the most part, were going to kill themselves off this building at the start of the movie. And then they decide, we're going to take a pact to not kill ourselves for like six months. Try to get through this together. And it is such a fucking down movie <laughs> called A Long Way Down. Don't watch it. It's The ratings are terrible. Deservedly so. It's another movie with Imogen Poots. Maybe it was a better script than a movie. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. I, and those are good actors, too. I mean, Brosnan, Colette, Aaron Paul, like these are Image and Poots. They're all good actors. It's just really, really rough source material to dig through. And films come out in 2014 alongside Glassland, which was another critic app option. A movie that, again, if you like Tony Collette, highly recommend checking it out because she plays like, a drug addicted mother in this movie. And the scene, there's a scene where her son, played by Jack Rayner, He's filming her while she's high, and she is fucking unhinged in the scene. And then later in the movie, he shows her the video to be like, this is not you, right? And like those fucking scenes hit you like a left hook because her depravity is, I mean, she's incredible as a drug addict. It's weird saying that. Yeah. She, she can turn it on and off like that. Yeah. It's incredibly impressive. Her ability to get to like, like uh, we were just talking about to be manic very quickly is so impressive. It's unsettling, and every time you see it, it has an impact on you. Even if like the movie or the TV show is not that good, like she's so good at that. Yeah. And the thing I saw a lot on the internet is people talked about her ability to contort her face in ways that are really striking. Is definitely like in her bag of tricks. Interesting. If you've watched, like, especially we, we haven't talked about Hereditary yet, but that, I think she showcases that wholeheartedly in that film. Oh, dude, that's my my favorite performance of hers. So she she wears it all on her face a lot of times and is very good. And so in this movie, as a deranged fucking drug addict who's high as shit and who basically wants to, like, hurt people to get drugs, nails it. Absolutely nails it. So I think it's one to check out if you're a Colette fan. The movie that I'm mad that I didn't get a chance to watch was Krampus. I've always wanted to see it. I've never seen it. She plays Sarah, another horror film. It's a great twist on the horror genre. It takes place on Christmas. See, it's so bad. It's a good watch. All the performances are pretty solid. 
I saw the scene where the gingerbread doll comes down the the chimney and the kid takes a bite out of it and then the doll proceeds to wrap him up with chains and drag his ass right up the chimney. Yes. <laughs> I'm pissed I didn't watch this because she's in so many other good horror movies that like when I saw this, I was like, this looks like the exact type of horror movie that I do enjoy despite it being shitty, but I have to watch like mm-hmm. the world renowned ones. And uh I will I'll watch I'll save this for around the holidays time and convince uh you know the family to watch it. Um John Turturro Jr. will probably love it. There you go. Hey, yeah, for sure. This movie does a good job of running along the edge of absurd and you know, comedic and campy and scary and balancing all of them. And yeah. yep, and then balancing them out. I made the mistake of in the middle of my really hectic work week, I was like, I'm gonna watch some Tony Klett films at night, just like you know, call yeah, down after the week. And I watched Triple X Return of Xander Cage, <laughs> just one of those movies. I felt like I needed the Vin Diesel experience, guys. It made a ton of money. I'm gonna tell you, I didn't I did not get converted into a triple X fan after watching the sequel. Say that. She plays the like the baddie handler who turns by the end of the movie, and I think she's does that perfectly fine. It's just when Vin Diesel starts the movie. Uh, jumping about 80 feet uh, down on skis into a jungle. I, I was like, well, I'm gone. Lost me already. <laughs> but I'm here for the rest of it because it's Vin Diesel. Sorry, he's just built different, Kyle. I was about to say, maybe, <laughs> you know, who am I to judge? Here's my question on this movie. Is this the only franchise movie she's a part of? Hmm. Which, if it is, it's a pretty cool career so far, I guess. Fright Night could be one, but that's just a sequel or a reboot. But you said she was like 59th in terms of like box office. That, yeah, that would make sense. Total box office. So yeah. that would insinuate she's not really in any blockbuster stuff for the most part. But think about it. Like Transformers 7 does well at the box office. But do you want to watch mm-hmm. Transformers 7? No, you do not. Neither does Dames. If you listen to our last episode, you know we have no interest in that. <laughs> <laughs> Zero. I mean, good for her for not doing that. That's a great point, Case. Please Stand By 2017, a movie we talked about in the Dakota Fanning episode. Dakota plays an autistic um, girl who ends up, is a huge like uh, Star Trek fan and decides to like basically disappear so she could submit her own movie script in this like contest that they're having. And Tony plays her mom in the story. Um, it's a, I think it's a pretty good film if people want to check it out. But nothing extraordinary for Tony from my perspective on that. Fun Mom Dinner, same year. She plays, again, a little bit different. She plays like a stoner, uh, hates people. Uh, Normal and relatable, I think, for a lot of people. (laughs) She said this movie was the most fun she's ever had on a movie set. Because it's kind of a hijinks film with these four. It's like Molly Shannon, Sam going through a weird night. Molly Shannon rules, man. She's awesome. She's so great. She's got that new Showtime series, too. Oh, Katie Asselton from, uh, from The League. Oh, nice. And uh, Bridget Everett. It's like a weird mom dinner where they kind of hate each other, but then they just go on like a night of hijinks together. And so it's, it's fun. I enjoyed watching it. I'm surprised I'd never heard of it, to be completely honest with you. I've never heard of it either. I'm still pissed I didn't watch Krampus. <laughs> same dude this looks exactly like my style same. the people want us to get to hereditary but first we had a couple housekeeping pieces to take care of so number one she co-founded a produ- her own production company alongside her agent i believe was it her agent i think it was her agent 
um, called Vocab Films in 2017. So um, like many others, we've covered getting into the production side. She did the same five years ago. Put your money where your mouth is when it comes to projects you believe in. So be interested to see what she does. And that leads to lowest critic score. And I drew the short straw on this one. <laughs> I'm always my favorite every five episodes. It is a movie called Birthmark. Have any of you, did any of you hear of, ever heard of Birthmarked before this episode? No. Nope. Nope. No, neither did I. I wish I still hadn't. I hadn't either, Kyle. And the only thing I could find on this movie for data is its critic and audience ranking. No money. Well, no that's, money. None of that. None of that is shocking at all. So I'll try to keep this brief because I really wish. Yeah, no. There's so many bangers here, like in the last couple of years, and this is not it at all. But birthmarked in terms of lowest critic, it's got an 11 from the critics, 59 from the audience. I don't know why the audience. Gave it a 60, but here we are. The, the concept of the movie is it stars Tony Collette and Matthew Good, who I like Matthew Good. He's, he's done some decent stuff over the years. They play two scientists who are raising three children contrarily to their genetics. If that's confusing, it's because it kind of is, but I'll get into what that means. An example is, would be the idea of um, raising the son of two scientists to be an artist. So the idea is... It, Kids, based on where they come from, their parents are trying to raise them in the exact opposite way to see if they'll go down the path. Does that make sense? Kind of, at least logically. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, so it's, it's basically this movie. It's like nature versus nurture experiment, right? And it reminded me of the three identical strangers documentary. Have you guys ever seen that? Yes. That really bonkers story. It's incredible. Yeah. But this is way worse. That was a great documentary. It was incredible. Incredible documentary, right? Where they take the, these three brothers, they figure out. They're like, holy shit, there's a, a version of me out there. Why? And they figure out they're part of this experiment that their parents never told them about. Um, but I don't even think the parents knew in that story. But it, this is similar to that, but in much worse ways. Um, it has a Wes Anderson narration feel to it, um, even to the point where uh, the director puts in some dialogue for Matthew Good's character because they're trying to train their son, one of their sons, to be an artist. And the first, I will say, the funniest part of the movie is, again, they're trying to encourage him to get into art and directing and all this stuff. And the first thing he decides to direct with his sibling, <laughs> they don't tell you what it is right away, but it's like a, it's basically like a porn shoot. So he said, and this kid is like, I don't know, 13, right? And his sister, who's 12, is dressed up like Megan Fox from Transformers, like hanging over the hood of a car. <laughs> And the other brother comes up from behind and starts fake humping her. And the the other brother is narrating this whole thing as it's going on. And he's like, where did you get this? Because they're so, they're so proud of him at that moment in time. And then he sees the brother come out and start fake humping the sister. And he's like, what is this? What's the source material? And he sees it's like a letter sent to Penthouse magazine. And that's what he's decided to turn into his first play as a director. <laughs> I laughed at that. <laughs> But as scientists are like, what's going on? What the? Do they have some kind of disorder? Like, is this abnormal sexual and behavior? Blah blah blah. So they bring in another friend, who's just like a scientist, and she's like, they're just normal kids. Like, this is just normal kid behavior. This is what they do. They don't believe her. Blah blah blah. The the line from Matthew Good to his son is, "Don't narrate the story. It's uh, it's poor dramaturgy. Dramaturgy is what he says in the movie." And I was like, oh. Did a nod to what you're doing right now. I get it, you fucking nerd. 
Anyways, this is also the worst movie that he's ever been in. <laughs> Tony's character, Catherine, she's extremely paranoid because the kids act like kids who have been homeschooled for 12 years and never seen anybody else. So you can imagine they start to act fucking weird. Like, welcome to homeschooling your kids for 12 years and keeping them away from other people and having social skill development challenge issues, right? Know all about it. <laughs> you live with that, right? <laughs> they play weird games. They listen to music they shouldn't. Like Matthew Good's character gets really angry because they get a copy of an Iron Maiden CD. Yeah, and he is not happy about that. He wa- he wants them to listen to uh, intelligent music, you know, classical shit, not metal. Given to by this woman. I saw the scene where his son was struggling with something, and he goes. Why don't you sing it out, sing about it, or sing it out, or something like that? Well, he's talking about his sexual energy. It's after the play, and he's he's like, I could tell you have some weird sexual energy. Why don't you dance out your sexual energy? Yeah, yeah. And he's like, how do you want me to do it? And the kid's like, <laughs> so fucking awkward. It's so weird, man. As, as his dad is lying reclined on his bed. <laughs> yeah, he's just laying there like, just dance it out. Dance out your sexual energy. To your point, the scene that made me laugh about that was when they're beating the shit out of each other with the oars. <laughs> and the dad is like, what are you doing? Tony Collette, she comes in, she's like, what are you doing? Stop it. And they're literally just taking an oar and just like slapping each other on the ass with it. Like, a kid, again, I was around kids who would play nutball all the time, just throw shit at their nuts. Like, kids do dumb things. And she can't understand why they're doing dumb things. Ridiculous. Um, but the big twist of the movie, spoiler, is the guy who funded the experiment originally for these two parents to try to raise these kids three different ways. He was conducting his own experiment of the parents. So basically, he's manipulating them to write his own book. Mm. And they obviously lose their minds when they find this out. But fuck you. You are an unethical bastard. You can't say shit to that guy for being unethical, too. So they lose their kids to social services because of everything that goes on. Because the kids stole their car (laughs) and took off with it. They got into a 141-car pileup with the car they stole. (laughs) So they lose their kids because of it. And ran over the the Russian assistant. (laughs) Destroyed the Russian assistant's leg. Who was in? Who was a primo comedic relief role. Oh my god. (laughs) And then then the end of the story is about them going in and trying to apologize for the kids and try to steal their kids away from social services, from the school they're in, blah blah blah. I saw a little bit of this movie and I thought it looked interesting and it sounded interesting. It It just didn't get there. It's not an 11. I will, I will say that. It's not an 11. It's probably a 30 to 40. It's got its absurd moments when the kids are just being kids and the parents, but it, it's the, the concept they're trying to drive home. You're putting this movie on the same level as Dinner with Friends. Yes, for different reasons. Because I actually laughed okay. in this movie. I didn't laugh in Dinner with Friends. Dinner with Friends. Well, Dinner with Friends was not a laughing movie. The only time I laughed is <laughs> at Annie McDowell's acting. That's it. That's Birthmark 2018. Don't go. I mean, Whatever you want to do. Have a good time. All right, let's round this out. But there's a lot here in the last couple of years because this woman has been busy and has been doing good work. So a movie that I love that I recommended to you all. I'm interested to see you watched it. Hearts Beat Loud. She plays Leslie alongside. She plays basically Nick, Nick Offerman's landlord in this movie slash lover. And I think it's a delightful father-daughter film with a great soundtrack. Personally. Wouldn't watch it for her necessarily, but it's no, no. super heartwarming, like you said. The moment in the coffee shop when he hears their song playing, uh, he's like, where did you hear this? She's like, it's on Spotify. It's new songs. He's like, this is my band. <laughs> I love it. It's so cute. Wanderlust. 2018 played Joy. So I watch a show. I think it's 
currently available on Netflix? I'm not exactly sure. She plays a therapist who has kind of reached like a a lull in her marriage. Like, you know, the sexual passion isn't there. And then the catalyst of the show is that her and her husband both cheat on each other on the same day. And he tells her that night and she goes, I, and she turns around and is like, I did the same thing. And they end up having like an open relationship. And so it's like comedic, but also dramatic. And I thought she did great in it, actually. Yeah, six episodes. It's only six episodes. Yeah, it's a, it's a mini series. It's bite size. People can take a chunk out of that. All right, the big one. Alongside our boy Gabe Byrne. We know the morons of the movies don't love this movie, but I'm, I'm pretty sure we're all a big fan of Hereditary. I thought this is Toni Collette's best performance. I was so impressed by her. Uh, she plays the mother, and it's hard to sit, talk about without spoiling it, but it is a movie about ghosts, essentially, and um, she kills it. I think she's fantastic. Yeah, I agree. This is my favorite performance of hers as well. Um, and in order for a movie like that to be good where it's just it's crazy all the time you have to have somebody at the lead and she does it very very well completely deranged yeah if the academy wasn't slanted against horror films this is one of the biggest snubs in my oscars paying attention lifetime i thought the same thing she should have gotten something for that i totally agree i'd never seen it before i remember when it came out and i was like i'm not a big horror guy but i am enough of a thriller and drama guy where like if there's something that's unique in the horror genre i'm like okay i need to like see that yeah and uh man this one was freaking good as an aside is there a better poster with tony collette featured in it than this one (laughs) it's badass is it the Uh, one where it's just like her eyes it's just it's just dark so it's it's got charlie on the like kind of peering over the table and her just like completely stoic just like rembrandt lighting Oh my god! Is that Charlie pre or post decapitation? <laughs> uh, spoiler, yo, that that scene with the fucking allergic reaction, I yeah. was like, I wanted to crawl out of the theater. Like you saw it coming from a mile away, but you did not see the ending coming at all. <laughs> Towards the end of the movie, when her character is crawling on the ceilings, oh my god, some of the dude. spookiest shit I've ever seen in a movie. Yeah. Nope. She, so this is another one. I th- we were talking about it earlier, where she is able to snap in and out of completely different, almost schizophrenic personalities. Yeah. And you can just see it. She doesn't have to say anything. She doesn't have to do anything. You just see the change in her face. The scene where she starts speaking as Charlie was, oh my god, dude! I got like the hairs on the back of my neck were, <laughs> oh my god, is. So good. <laughs> yeah. Pay all my respects to Payman because I don't need that naked fucking cult coming my way. I'm good. <laughs> I mean, scientifically speaking, this is the scariest movie of all time. I remember when it first came out, like people were reporting people throwing up in the theater. Like, wow. Yeah, it's probably the gruesome death of a fucking eight year old girl that's probably what fucked people up. I remember reading reviews of it at Sundance in 2018, and that's, that's what people said it was like. Mm hmm. This was like the the new scariest movie they'd ever seen, basically. In that research project that they did where they named this the scariest movie, the people that watch this movie, their average heartbeat was 115 beats per minute during the movie. Oh, my God. <laughs> and what's the resting heartbeat? 60 to 100. 60, yeah. yeah, it's the, yeah, 60, 80. The one thing I will say about this one, at least in my opinion, and this is where a lot of these like kind of like horror genre films 
fall apart is they do so well in the first two acts, building suspense, and then the plot just takes like a sharp left turn of craziness, uh, which kind of where I thought this one landed. But the suspense all the way up to it is still good enough to justify it. So you're telling me you didn't like when Gabe Byrne burst into flames and actually burned? <laughs> I mean, that was that was interesting. Warren loved it. Man, I'm, at the end of it, it was just like, there was a lot of information to make the plot make sense. Yeah. Where I don't think they needed it. If you guys ever do watch it again, one thing I noticed on the rewatch that I didn't know about the first time I saw it, Ari will continually do out these like wide shots of the house repeat it throughout the movie the last time he does it when it's dark outside i didn't catch it the first time the all those naked people are in the woods staring at the house yeah and the next time i watch it it's so fucking creepy because they it's a quick shot yeah and you'll miss it if you're not paying attention but that second time they're literally just standing staring at the house that's brilliant i'll say two things before we move on number one she said that this was the toughest um set she's ever been on in terms of just challenging her interesting you can understand why yeah Right. Just like the emotional depth you have to go to to play that character. Yep. And then two, Gabriel Byrne did not phone it in. Fuck the morons at the movie. Uh, no, absolutely not. No. So we'll keep it moving. Velvet Buzzsaw 2019 alongside Rene Russo, Jake Gyllenhaal, art movie, another horror flick. I didn't think it was that bad. I didn't think it was a 36, which is what the. Uh, no. Which is what the fans gave it. I think the critic score is probably more correct, like low 60s. I agree. I think it's a middle of the road film. I don't think it's bad. I think the kill scenes in this are pretty good. Mm-hmm. I agree. And I was impressed by uh, the return of Rene Russo. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> Came back. Mm-hmm. Unbelievable. So another TV show she was in, she got SAG, Golden Globe, and Enemy Nom. So I was like, I got to watch this show to figure out why she got nominated for all these awards. She plays a detective, and the whole show is about, I mean, it's called Unbelievable, so the idea is what happens when law enforcement doesn't believe women who, who experience sexual assault. And so it, it follows one woman or one young lady played by um, Caitlin Deaver. Caitlin, she's great. She plays a, a, a victim who then retracts her story, but then gets prosecuted for false reporting uh, on what, like in a different state. And then Tony Collette meets up with uh, Mer- Merit Deaver and they're pursuing a similar case and ends up, these are all interconnected through somebody who's ex-military and stuff like that. So I don't want to say much more than that, but um, it's a good it's a good show. And Tony Collette is pretty darn good as like a badass. Big fan. Also a big fan of Knives Out. One we've talked about a few times on the pod. Jamie Lee Curtis, I believe it's the last time we talked about it. with, mm-hmm. But uh, she plays Joni. This technically would have been highest critic score, but we had already covered it on the Jamie Lee Curtis episode. And she's only like a side character in it. Yeah. Yeah. But she's she's a very memorable side character. She's like sassy and sarcastic and has kind of a whole different like tone to her voice in this movie. Yeah, she's the sister-in-law. She gives me like a mean a mean girl's yeah, vibe. Like that's if. Yeah, like, that's like, kind of what I get. <laughs> you could tell she's like kissing up to the family because they're rich and that's why she like hangs around and whatnot. I like Knives Out, but I'm with you, Kyle. I find her character to be one of the more unappealing of the of this great cast so unique character yeah the whole show is uh, stolen by james bond he's amazing this is true honestly it's one of those it's kind of like little miss sunshine where the ensemble cast is just like there are so many of those people that could carry an entire movie themselves and it's just 
Yep. She doesn't have to because no. there's so much other interesting stuff going on. I hated her character, but I think that's a testament to her acting. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, so many of these characters are hateable. She's pretty, she's very insufferable. All right, James, want to hear your uh, philosophy or thoughts on them thinking of ending things? Thinking of ending things, horror movie came out 2020. Um, critics loved it. Got 82s. Audience hated it. And I was like, all right, this is a Tony Collette movie. It's a horror movie. I like Jesse Plemons. And I also like uh, the director, Charlie Kaufman. He did uh, Being John Malkovich, which was like a mind bender that I really enjoyed, even though like I can't confidently say I got it the first time I watched it. Um, and so I was excited to watch this. And the first half of it is exactly what I was expecting out of Charlie Kaufman, where it's like, it is beautifully shot. And you could tell these are people having a real conversation, but the conversation is like bizarre. And you're just listening and you're like, something's a little off. And it just keeps getting a little weirder and a little weirder and a little weirder. And then you, it's about a, a boyfriend and girlfriend who are going to meet the boyfriend's parents. And when they get to his house, his parents are played by uh, David Thewlis and Tony Collette. And once that happens, like shit hits the fan. And immediately you're like, all right, this is super creepy. Like, what the fuck is going on? The timeline doesn't really make sense. Um, and so I was super into it. And then the second half of the movie starts and it just goes like so into bizarro land that I had no idea what was going on. Like I was captivated, but like by the time the movie ended, I was like, I have to look up online what that even was because the first half of it had me and the second half was like, I clearly missed whatever the twist was, whatever's going on. And then at the very end, I see the twist, of course. Um, but I had to like read like multiple articles online to understand what happened. So I, I really wanted to like it, but um, the second half just lost me completely. I love that you sent over the article about like the top 10 movies that have been searched the most. And you're like, I contributed a lot to number two. Yeah. It's the number two most Googled uh, movie that is like explain the ending. And what, what was number one? Oh, it was Tenet. It was, it Tenet, was Tenet. Which I, James contributed quite a bit to that. I'm sure. Yeah. I, I had to watch Tenet three times. <laughs> I think, and I love, I love Christopher Nolan. Had to watch it three times. Like, I don't know. I think I'm getting what's going on here. So it gets to the school with like janitors and shit. I don't know what's going on, man. There's a random musical number and yep. characters just get, there's a, there's a cartoon section. There's multiple cartoon sections. Rigby, you talked about this when it came out, right? I remember, I think we talked about it. Yeah. Not a fan of his. I was about to say, I feel like you criticize his work. I mean, it was pretty it's probably my favorite one of movie of his, but I don't not like Eternal Sunshine adaptation. Not a huge fan of any of that stuff. And those are super successful. This is the one that of his that I've seen that I was like, man, I wanted to like it. And I didn't. I think we just got to try to keep moving. But like Dream Horse premiered at Sundance a couple of years ago. She has her Welsh accent. She like runs a, a team of locals who basically buy a horse to put in a horse race. It's a delightful film. I think it's on Hulu. She's awesome in it. Highly recommend it to people. And then Stowaway is a Netflix film that actually shocked the shit out of me. It's a lot better than I thought it was going to be because most baseline Netflix films are pretty bland. Uh, but it's with Anna Kendrick. Daniel Day Kim from Lost. It's got a 63 Metascore. I give it a 7. It's a three-person crew who's on a mission to Mars when th- like an unplanned passenger shows up who's injured and they decide to take care of him even though it's going to screw with their uh their resources to be able to make the trip and then all the chaos that comes from that so it's a i thought it was actually pretty well done yeah i mean i thought the concept was clever and i thought uh it was 
pretty like well written and acted, but like I just I lost interest. I was like, oh, this is cool. And then like when the dramatic moments were happening, I was like, yeah, but I mean, like we all kind of saw it coming, right? Like you guys made the choice, and this is this is what's happening. <laughs> you knew what happened yeah. when we kept going. We we didn't have much to play with, and Daniel Dakem is only capable of so much as a scientist here. Yep. <laughs> and that that was the other thing that lost me is there's on no planet or galaxy are astronauts this good looking <laughs> like these are like models like what are we All doing here? yeah <laughs> and then most recently nightmare alley she played xena a movie with willem dafoe came out last year guillermo del toro i know rigby likes this movie i enjoyed it same here just another movie where she, the cast is unbelievable and she just plays a small part yeah, in it so good but yeah i i, I I watched this movie not really knowing what to expect, and I walked away from it uh, loving it. So, And that was, I think, off your recommendation, K-Man. So thank you. All right, so last thing we'll mention, 2022 is her role in The Staircase, eight episodes. It's a dramatic reenactment of whose actual uh, murder? What's the guy's name? It's based off a documentary series that the documentary was released in... 2004 and then when there was this huge increase in like awareness around like true crime stories they redid it like 10 years later Mm. um and it became this huge kind of phenomenon michael peterson yeah michael and kathleen peterson yeah because it just got nominated for a couple emmys i know that and including her yeah she's terrific in this i don't know anything about this story or the case yeah essentially at the crux of it is like He's a writer, I believe. Is that what Michael Peterson does? Yeah. So Tony ends up dead in this movie. Tony's character ends oh, up dead. Oh, bro, big dead. Show. Big dead. Yeah. yeah. And his wife's dead, and no one could figure out how, but he was, like, the only guy home. So they're like, well, you clearly did it. But there's so much, like, evidence against, like, him not doing it, but the whole time you're like, well, yeah, but dude, like, it was fucking you. Like, <laughs> you obviously killed this woman. Cast, too. Fucking Michael Stahlberg, Sophie Turner, Juliet Benoche, Parker Posey. Okay. Modern day, we're here. You know what that means. All right, Rigby, top performances. What do we got? All right, I got a list from Variety, and it's from November 2021. So Nightmare Alley will not be on here. And it's just, it's just her film roles. And it's her top 10. Ooh, okay. And it's numerically ranked. Okay. So. Oh, this is an old school list for us. Uh, give me the way, way back. Yeah, that's number 10. Nice. Starting low, boys. Let's work our way up. Mm-hmm. Leave the low hanging fruit for last. Yeah. Little Miss Sunshine. That is number five. Okay. Fucking Krampus. Do it. Nope. Damn it. <laughs> enough said. Uh, enough said's not on here. Wow. What? Wow. Yeah, she may not have had a big enough role compared yeah. to the, yeah, that's the yeah. main characters. Six cents, obviously. Yeah, that's number two. Oh. Muriel's wedding is gonna be on there, I bet. Yep. Yeah, that's number four. Nice job. Dinner with friends. Nope. Upsetting. About a boy. About a boy could be number. Uh that is number seven. Oh, hereditary is number one, obviously. Yeah, no question. Hereditary is numero uno. Yeah, as it should be. As it should be. Eight and nine. Give me Glassland. Nope. Uh, in her shoes. Yes. Yeah, that's number three. Absolutely. Really? Oh, yeah, that's too high, but it wouldn't surprise me if it was just inside the top ten. Okay. Yeah, I agree. Knives Out? Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's number eight. I don't agree with that, but... Uh, did we mention the other two, Rigby? One of them we definitely did. I'm not sure about the other one. Triple X, there's Return of Xander Cage. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, she's not bad in that role. The movie's dookie. <laughs> Is that movie about family? You gotta gotta take the paycheck every once in a while. That's right. 
Hard to beat loud. No. Spotswood, the efficiency expert. No. Shoot me if it's Connie and Carla. <laughs> no. So I'll give you a, I'll give you a hint. We talked about it and it features a and like a ridiculous cast. Oh, the hours. Yeah. Right. I was yeah, I was gonna guess that earlier. And then is the other one the one we didn't mention? I don't think we did. Okay. Hit us with it. Madam? Oh no, we didn't talk about Madam. No. It's from twenty seventeen, right? Twenty seventeen, yeah, Harvey Cartel's in it. We didn't talk about Hitchcock either, did we? No, we did not. There's always one we don't talk about on that list, which is good. Can't hit it all. Okay, so so the, what was the top three again, Ravy? Hereditary. Hereditary, Sixth Sense, and Inner Shoes. Agree, agree, big miss. <laughs> yeah, Inner Shoes third is a little bit rough. I mean, I'd probably put, what goes three? Birth marked. Muriel's Wedding, my, uh, you said it's four. I mean, I would entertain that at three. I mean, considering how young she is, Agreed. she's electric on screen. Regardless, it's that's what Variety says. So I guess it stands for now. So let's get into the Munson meter. What we do, we rate every actor on a scale of zero to 100. We rate on a variety of factors that can include longevity, project choice, pop culture impact, their acting range, awards footprint, any other talents they might have. Personal life, comedic chops, box office success, or lack thereof, and anything else that matters to us. I'm going first. I don't know if I'm fortunately going first, because with her, it's I don't even know where I set the bar, but I've got a rubric, so I'm going to stick to it. So I will say this. I think she absolutely should have been nominated for Hereditary for Best Actress and been competitive to win that Oscar. She's had a lot of great horror roles over the years, and I think she has even more of a future in horror she has a home there. So I love that. I, d- I don't think we say that often with a lot of actresses that we cover. Um, I respect the shit out of her ability to mask her Australian accent and take on American accents, Welsh accents, British accents. I think if Warren was here, he would say the same because he's kind of our accent czar for the podcast normally. Um, I got to give her credit for being a lead singer in a band and writing music and doing theater work i mean all that off the screen stuff that's going to gain a lot of extra points for me she's also highly philanthropic she works with numerous charities so she's got the the good person thing doesn't seem to have really any like drama none yeah. out in her personal life like i saw nothing she's a, a fucking sweetheart when it comes to interviews like tony is about as about as lovely as it gets off uh, on and off screen and I think she's legitimately in her prime as we speak. Everything from 2018 is just bangers. Yeah. Like, we're seeing the best of what this woman can bring us. She's been nominated for the Oscar, hasn't won the Oscar. But, I mean, when I look across the board, she's not that funny. Humor really isn't her thing. I mean, she can be funny at times, but she's not a jokey person. She's more of a serious actress. So I take off a few there, but that's not a huge knock. Mm-hmm. But with all of that, I'm going to give her an 86. Case, you're next. Well, you nailed a lot of the things I was going to talk about, Kyle. And I think the only knock I have on her career is, and this is one of my litmus tests, when I tell people who we're recording about, if I have a hard time telling them what movie, or like getting them to remember what movies they're in, that always stands out to me. And I had a hard time getting people oh, I like that. to like, oh, yeah, 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 I know who that is. Yeah. With Tony Collette, it was hard to get people to that point without literally showing them a picture of her. They're like, okay, I remember her. She's got good range. I don't think she has, or at least she hasn't demonstrated a lot of the comedic timing, like you said, Kyle, but I'm sure she could do it with the right script. Based on some of the points you brought up and, and adding those points to the mix, I'm going to give her an 82. Ron Maker. 
guest months. Without trying to repeat a whole lot, I, I definitely will second the I, I love um, actors that are Renaissance people. And I think uh, Tony Collette is a Renaissance woman. Absolutely. Um, I think coming from uh, a, almost like a similar but a different art form, I think allows you to, they always say, you know, whatever your life experiences are, you bring that to whatever art form you you work and it sounds like you know we get a lot of stage um and dance background from from her and then someone who also at one point even if it's not recurring um had some kind of a a music career um so a lot of respect there uh where i probably take off some points for me i feel like a lot of the roles we kind of get some typecast roles from tony collette as you know, the mom somewhat yeah. erratic emotionally. Um, but, you know, there's nothing wrong with uh, being good at what you do. Uh, and for anyone in Hollywood to make a career and have any sort of consistency, you have to be good. Kyle, you made the point that I think we're still seeing some of her best work. And it wouldn't surprise me if her best work has not been made yet. Um, yeah. You know, I, I think we can, at least most of us agree that we saw some of the best in Hereditary just four years ago, and she's definitely got a niche there. Um, so, again, lots of love. Um, the knocks are minimum, uh, and the number I had in my head before I heard you say it just a moment ago, Case, was 82, and I'm going to stick with it. I think it's uh, good, uh, and she's got plenty of room to improve on that in her um, relatively long career ahead like it james after going through her filmography i think i haven't seen a movie that she is in where i didn't like her performance even if i hated the movie and that i don't know if i've said that where like there's probably a few actors we've covered that i think were across the board great but i'm impressed that she could be in a movie that's like truly almost unwatchable and you're still like man she's doing fantastic like even in uh there's a show we didn't cover called uh, pieces of her on netflix there, the, the opening, the pilot episode is just every scene is stolen by her. And then her great performance is just not kind of matched by the rest of the story throughout the show. But still, when you watch her, you're like, damn, this is so intense, so impressive. Like, I think her range is there. I do think uh, she can be comedic. I just think she's so good at the dramatic roles that it's dramatic and horror. And because she can just, she's like kind of like, a chameleon that it's more interesting to have her in those roles. But I agree with you guys. I think her best days are in front of her and I wouldn't be shocked if there are a lot of awards included in that as well. Um, I'm going to give her an 81. Rigby, round us out. Yeah, you guys hit them all. She's got like an intensity about her, but with that intensity, she also like is very magnetic and she just kind of pulls you into every performance she's in. I'm a huge fan of hers. Um, You know, there's a reason that she's in so many of these movies with these stacked casts is because she just they know that you know someone like that is just gonna be a be a great performer and they just um yeah whether it's knives out whether it's nightmare alley whether it's hereditary you know she's been she's been in some some of the great movies of the last five or six years so and again that's that's not even talking about the future that she has ahead of her so uh she gets a high score for me she's getting an 85 Holy shit, I got a higher score than Rigby on an episode. I'm. We also owe some credit to um, someone who uh, hasn't 
hasn't done a sequel. Oh yeah. Hasn't necessarily taken a role for um, the money. Yeah. Uh, yep. and, and seems to be someone who uh, really is studious for um, the script uh, for um, films that have a unique look at things, whether that's her character or the plot as a whole. Um, someone who's definitely a big proponent of the independent film um, community. I just can't say enough good things about that. It's very easy when you're in her position to do th- some things to cash the check. What you just said is, you know, kind of like a, I totally agree. And it's something she mentioned like early in her career. I think it was when she was uh, auditioning for The Sixth Sense. Like at first, she was like kind of apprehensive. She's like, I just don't want to be like typecasted into roles. And like, is this going to be just like, she enjoyed doing theater too. And so she's like, I, you know, I can just get more emotionally involved in this. And then she read the script and she's like, Never mind. That's a very unique movie. I can't wait to be involved in that. Yeah. All right. So with that score, that gives Tony Collette an eighty-three point two, which ties her with Laura Linney for twelfth. Hey. Jolie is eleven, and Cranston is in fourteenth. Solid list right there, dude. I like the top ten. Top ten's looking solid. I like the ranking of twelve. That's what <laughs> she was on the box office. Oh, look at us! Yeah. I don't think we've ever hit it spot on before like that. We've been close before. We've been close, but never spot on. It's a good list. All right, James, what is uh, what she have coming? So there's two movies that are already uh, in post production. One is called the, and they're actually both comedies. So we'll see the comedic side more. Um, one is called The Estate, and it is about a terminally ill, wealthy aunt and. Uh, it's starring her, Anna Ferris, Ron Livingston, and David Duchovny, and everyone is like scheming for the will, uh, which I think could be a funny plot line. I feel like we might have seen it done before, but I do like that cast. And then another comedy called uh, Mafia Mama, which uh, she's the only person listed that I know. I do not know who Monica Bellucci is, but she seems absolutely stunningly beautiful. <laughs> Wasn't she in The Matrix? Is she in The Matrix? I'm looking at her IMDb right now. She's in Reloaded and Revolution. Oh, yeah. She's in the sequels, yeah. And then there's a movie that's in pre-production uh, directed by Bong Joon-ho called Mickey Seven and uh, starring Robert Pattinson, Mark Ruffalo. Sold. Steven Yoon and Tony Collette. Yeah, it sounds sold. Sounds like something <laughs> I'm going to like. Yeah. You said Bong Joon-ho, I was sold. Then yep. you said Robert Pattinson, Steven Yoon and Mark Ruffalo. Sold. Yeah. I bet it's going to be fantastic. All right. She's got some good shit coming. I'm telling you, this woman's going to, she's going to win an Oscar. I agree. Go back to the bad boys, days. All right, so next episode's going to hit August 25th. And we're, we have Cam Sully, Cam Sullivan from the Jacked Up Review Show, back. And he was previously with us for the Keith David and Dennis Haysbert episode. So he's only picked African-American men to this point. What he did with Haysbert was objectively funny. And I have to tip my cap. <laughs> to him when he rejoins us for giving dennis haysbert a 95 on the munson meter <laughs> yeah i honestly game rec- recognizes game coming on our podcast the tank a score is fucking hysterical totally understand that he's like the andy kaufman of the munson absolutely the that is hysterical <laughs> to me. he's seen more stuff than any of us combined too like that dude watches yes he's seen so much stuff so he's picking for one of these five actors and i think it's a very fitting wheel for Cam, given he's into like cold actors and stuff like that. So we've got Kristen Schaal, Gina Rodriguez, Steven Root, Chow Yun Fat, and Maya Wasikowska. I think Kristen Schaal's hilarious. Same with Steven Root. Uh, I love him in Barry. 
Yeah. I haven't heard Chow Yun Fat's name in maybe 10 years. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, the other two do not jump out at me. I think I'd have to see a picture of Gina Rodriguez or Maya Wazikowski. Wazikowska. Yeah, see, I can't even say the name. I think Steven Root would be so much fun. So I'm all for him. Same. Uh, Gina Rodriguez, Jane the Virgin. Yep. Oh, okay. All right. So I know, yes, I know. She had a lot of heat recently for some shit she said. I'm excited to see what she said. Maya Wasikowska, she was in Alice in Wonderland, Crimson Peak, most recently Bergman Island with Tim Roth. Probably the most recent thing I've seen with her. She's done some decent work. Uh, She only has 41 credits, so she hasn't been around too long. So Gina Rodriguez, yeah, she's been posting uh, Instagram stories of her saying the (laughs) N-word. Yep. Yeah. Buddy, I can't wait to review her and just get review bombed by everyone being like, what the (laughs) fuck? (laughs) Yeah, but she was in Annihilation in Deepwater Horizon, which I at least enjoyed Annihilation. For my money, I want Steven Root so he can do an entire podcast based on Milton from Office Space. A legendary character. And the stapler. That guy has had a a sneaky good career. He's been in a lot of... Hell yeah. He's so fucking funny in Barry, dude. He is so funny. He's He's great. Great. Mm-hmm. And I forgot Steven Root plays Gordo in uh, in Dodgeball. Yeah. Like, yeah, you gotta get angry. You gotta get me. It's the only way you can play. Kyle, I'm I'm reading. Steven Root has 271 credits, so I no longer want to do Steven. Oh, Root. dude, I'm out. <laughs> I'm out. That is too many. It is a lot. Kristen Shaw, it is. We'll just talk about Bob's Burgers. <laughs> That's true. That's one of her. I just watched a Bob Berg, Bob's Burgers movie a couple weeks ago. I didn't mind it. I love it was that fun. show. I think it's hysterical. I didn't mind it. A rave review. <laughs> <laughs> uh, she's in one of my favorite shows, too. What We Do in the Shadows. She plays the woman who just like fucking peers everywhere. In there. So I've seen her a lot on that. Flight of the Concord. She's the band's only fan. <laughs> it's so fucking funny. In a, in a time of only fans, it's funny when it's just... <laughs> the band and she's like the groupie and she's already married. I think she's hilarious in that role. Yeah, it would just be a lot of comedies yeah. talking about with her. Chow Yun Fat, let's look. What was the last thing he did? I haven't done an action star in a long time. 2022, he did The Monkey King, The Legend Begins. Played the Emperor. He's got 115 credits. Oh, God. He's got quite a few. Uh, a lot of these would be non-English films. Yeah, I thought Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon was awesome, but I think that's the last thing I saw him in. The Replacement Killers is probably the last thing I've seen him in. That was like around the Willennium. That was a little while ago. You got two Willenniums in tonight. Yes, that's right, baby. Oh, boy. You got to squeeze them in when you can get them. He's in some awesome um, like 90s Hong Kong movies. Mm-hmm. Hard boiled. I believe you. I'd love to try. I'd love to dabble one of these. So, who do we think Cam would pick? Who, who's his choice of these five? Root. Whoever's the hardest. That's what he would pick. <laughs> Steven Root. You think Steven Root? I'm going to go Chow Yun Fat. Yeah, I think I think it's Gina Rodriguez. Okay. Mike, if you had to pick someone back-to-back, what would you do, Steven Root? Yeah, absolutely. So, like, there's so much good stuff. He has he has a lot of range in the roles he's done. Get uh, sucked into that. I, now that I've been on four of these and moved forward, I have to... I, this is the first time I did this, and I have to look at trying to diversify and expand my selection. I can't pick the same kind of actors every time. Uh, Mike doesn't decide. We don't decide. James doesn't decide. The wheel decides, and we'll see what happens. All right. Uh, Rodmaker, it's been fantastic, man. You you called it. Yeah, dude. I told you this is going to be this is gonna be a longer one. This is your chance. You know how it goes. Guest plug. So, wise words, plugs you want to make about the things you're working on, your OnlyFans, if you want to tell people about <laughs> Whatever you want to do, man. I don't know. Uh, I don't know if I had any plugs this time. I had a uh, 
charity art show uh, a couple months back, which went super well. It was all like promoting local artists in LA and, and uh, selling um, prints, uh, benefiting one that was uh, one charity is building a track for LA's oldest high school to reintroduce the track program to high school students there. Cool. Uh, and the other one is uh, promoting um, tech education uh, in an underserved community in LA. Um, they put themselves right in, in, in the middle of kind of an underserved uh, area uh, to make it more accessible for uh, kids, middle school, high school, trying to learn more about tech. They teach them tech. Again, I, you know, I'm not plugging anything, but always just like an incredibly grateful for, for folks that uh, continue to support that kind of thing. And I don't know that it's wise words or wisdom, but I would say one of the things that I've found to be true uh, is, you know, you, you kind of reap what you sow and, uh, you know, do your best to be good with people, take things easy, give everybody a, a break every now and then. And I think it, uh, I truly believe it, it comes down and, and uh, helps you out in the long run. Uh, so let me uh, step off of my soapbox here. But No, dude, hell yeah. You're here. No, I, I really appreciate you all having me. Thanks for joining us tonight, man. It's fun having you on every time. It's always a pleasure. Yeah, I always look forward to the next one and always a bummed that it's like six months away. <laughs> That's true. Gives yeah. me uh, gives me good time to prepare. That's right. When you're getting DVDs sent to you from yeah. China, it takes longer to get there. I agree. Um, <laughs> All right, well, as we wrap things up, you can catch us on Twitter, Munson's at Movies. You can catch us on the Instagram, Munson's at the Movies. You can email us, Munson's at the Movies at gmail.com. Any final thoughts from Tony Collette? Don't you swear at me, you little shit! Don't you ever raise your voice at me! Do you understand? If you could have just said, I'm sorry, or faced up to what happened, maybe, can we could do something with this, but you can't take responsibility for anything! Munson's out. All right, let's go. Thank you for the education, gentlemen. We've just received a PhD in stupidity. Doctor, shall we? When Bruce Willis was dead at the end of Sixth Sense, I shizzed in my past.